Hey, this is Kevin Conroy, speaking to you directly from the library of Wayne Manor. You may know me as Batman, and I just want to congratulate my two favorite sidekicks, Blake and Dion, on Saturday Night Movie Sleepover's fifth anniversary. That's incredible, Blake and Dion. Robin doesn't have anything on these guys. Remember, Batman's got your back. <laughs> Wake up. It's Saturday night movie sleepovers. Saturday night sleepovers. <laughs> Saturday night movie sleepovers. Sleepovers. Saturday night. I have to admit that watching this tonight, I got goosebumps when I heard the music. Um... I haven't seen the theatrical cut for this movie probably in 35 years. Something like 72 <laughs> years. Two <laughs> years and you add a third, drop a dime, add a deuce. Used to walk to the movie theater in bare feet. Both ways. Through the snow. High. Going up, going up, going up hills both ways. Cost me a penny. <laughs> Cost me a penny. And back then you used to be able to get to see a newsreel. <laughs> <laughs> be able to see a cartoon. Be able to get to see uh, what else? You get to see. Get to see a. Get to see a little. Get uh, a burlesque show. Get a burlesque show. <laughs> get to see uh, uh, Tom Healy and his Three Stooges. And you got to see one of those other shorts. And then you'd see the feature. And if you stuck Some, around, you could see it all again. Sometimes two features. Sometimes two features. Welcome to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. This is it. This is the, um, we've, we ended the summer. Mm-hmm. The, the epic uh, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers is the summer of sle- 2019 summer sequels. Yeah. And we decided to keep on rolling on. <laughs> yeah, we just <laughs> we just kept going right through the embankment, <laughs> off the highway. We're going down the the grass hill. I guess this is this is officially not just the finale of the summer of sequels. The Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers <laughs> is 2019 summers of sequels Fina- finale, uh, but uh, it's our anniversary. It is our anniversary. And so, and this is, and it's funny because we used to make the anniversaries be the epic podcasts, but now, like, 
They're all abs. They're all. They're all. They're all, uh, <laughs> they're all three plus hours. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're all craziness. They're all like you know, you know, when we go over like Jesus, three and a half hours. What the I hell are you guys talking about? Still, I was gonna look before I came, but uh, I still don't. There's like in my, there's a blind spot for me. There's one anniversary episode oh we don't we can't I, remember i feel like i can't remember what we did well let's go back in time ladies and gentlemen first episode Batman. was the punisher oh yeah okay okay yeah this, but that's this, obviously not an anniversary but that's why we did batman yeah the inaugural was the punisher because we were like well we did like a comic book movie so maybe for our anniversary we should do another comic book movie so then we did batman yeah we did 1990 right punisher yeah dolph lundgren yeah, it was, might be 8990, depending yeah. on... Who, who you're talking to? <laughs> yeah, well, like, the release dates are always weird. It's Australia, it was like... Yeah, like this one. It's like... <laughs> what? It's like 80 in Australia, but then it doesn't come out here to 81. It so went around... It toured around the world before it got here, because it, it was in, even released in Europe prior yeah. to that. But then, so then we did Batman. And then I think, Batman. We, then I think we did Rocketeer. And then the next year, we did Rocketeer. So that's what, the three-year anniversary? That was second, second year anniversary. Yeah. And then um, at some point we did Raiders of the Lost Ark, but I feel like that would be so. That's what we're missing there because isn't Raiders of the Lost Ark last year? I believe it is. So we're missing uh, <laughs> what's what? What we have done? Uh, the Shadow. We were abducted. No, was that? A, I never. I don't think that was an anniversary episode. Oh, maybe last year was the Shadow, and then two years ago was, was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay, the Shadow. Knows. So it was. <laughs> what are you <laughs> like? So the Shadows knows. The Shadows knows. The nose knows. Sir Noise Devoid of Funk, um, Punisher, Batman, Rocketeer, Raiders. Yeah. The Shadow. That's five, and then this is uh, this is Superman two from nineteen eighty eighty one. Yeah, uh, but this is technically our fifth anniversary. Yes, because we didn't count the Punisher because the Punisher is not really an anniversary. The Punisher was the pilot. <laughs> was we the didn't know <laughs> we went to pilot season. It is, it is drastically different. In, yeah. in format than the than the show eventually became. Yeah, we didn't know what we were doing, and we were even saying that this is just a walkthrough. It was a soft opening. It was basically the dress rehearsal. We brought a new audience in, so we wouldn't because the other jokes <laughs> when we did the when yeah, the other dress it was a test. Though. Yeah. So um, that was fun. So I brought with us tonight, we're over Blake's house, and it's been so late we actually fell asleep, and we woke up we're like, Jesus, we got we to gotta get recording because it's really late, and, you know, this is going to be an epic, and before we know it, you know, yeah. Blake's stepdad's going to be getting up and walking around and, and, and getting ready to go to work, and his mom's going to be making coffee, and, you know, it's going to get pretty loud in the, in the, in the household. So. I know. So I brought with me... Something to, to to for sense memories. Blake doesn't know what it is. Okay, and and I'm gonna have Blake close his eyes. Okay, close your eyes, Blake. <laughs> now now this is my eyes are closed. Now I'm I'm putting something on the table. This is sense memory to get us into the '80s to get us back to then. Okay, Blake, you can look now. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I didn't know that they. Did they come in this container? It was given to me. This was so I think it's probably, yeah, you probably could get that when you got enough. Dion just whipped out a... <laughs> wow, like, ladies, a please. <laughs> and gentlemen. It is pink. Yes. It is flesh. It is fleshy colored. <laughs> Lord have mercy. There's children in the audience. Dion. Don't you have standards I'm yet? <laughs> What the hell are you doing? Whoa. Put it away. Uh, we got to have a talk when he leaves. <laughs> Dad, what are you doing over Blake's house? It's uh, 
<laughs> it is cylindrical, centrifugal, centrifugal. Yep, centrifugal force. It's a plastic garbage can. It looks like see-through. Yeah, filled with little fucking muscle men. Muscle men, huh? Again, we're because I, I figured we're doing the '80s today, you know. And I had this laying around because a friend of ours, uh, Matt, the saxophone garrison. Was <laughs> the sack? <laughs> yeah, that's his wrestling name. Because <laughs> his, his patented move is the saxophone. Whatever that means. He comes in playing, <laughs> yeah. and then he breaks the saxophone over somebody's head. That's brilliant. At some point. And then at the end of it, yeah, then he plays on the way out with the, in the, bro- the broken <laughs> saxophone. Um, well, he was purging all of his childhood dreams, and then he was like, he brought it over. He's like, hey, you can have this. So I've had I. My history with muscle men is my, my cousin used to have them. So what we used to do is I'd sleep over his house. Oh, that's kind of um, goes like, with the territory. Like a shredder one right there. Looks oh yeah, like. look at that guy. So what we used to do is we would break them all out and we throw them into his pool, and then we <laughs> try to go see find, go find them. Yeah, you got to see who how many can you grab holding your breath at <laughs> before, once before you pass out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before you float up to the surface. <laughs> it is dad got it. Your ears start hurting. Yeah, when you go to the bottom of the pool. This is the seat, um, and your eyes are burning because his like dad a put road, <laughs> road warrior one. Oh yeah, because his dad put too much chlorine into the pool. So you try to open your. Eyes. <laughs> 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 you come up your the whites of your eyes are just beef. Yeah. <laughs> you look like a blind man because you got like that <laughs> milky color. <laughs> <laughs> It bleached. It bleached out the color of your yeah. eyes. Because <laughs> <laughs> dad is uh, dad saving money, so he's not buying chlorine. He's just, he's just put Clorox on the clothes. It works. It works. <laughs> just dumping whatever yeah, in yeah, there. Exactly. Just some ammonia. <laughs> he's making a poor man's Bottle mustard gas. Yeah, peroxide, ammonium, bleach. So anyway, so that's how... You blow your hair. Your hair goes blue. <laughs> it's all white. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we gotta tell Mister uh, Buy to stop using this as heavy bleach because Blake's parents are gonna get mad. So um, oh, that's man. how I used to play with them, and, um, and then yeah. I, you know, I haven't seen them in <laughs> twenty wipe, years. Wipe my eyes. <laughs> you gotta wipe your eyes off. So Matt was getting rid of them, and he gave me these. <coughs> so for a couple years, I've been have they've been sitting on my bookcase, and you know, and I've been meaning to show somebody. Yeah. And so I said, you know what? One of these days, I'll bring them in. They're muscular. Superman is muscular. Exactly. And I feel I thought they'd bring us the era, the era that we're going to be talking about tonight. I mean, I'm sure. Um, I'm surprised they never made a Muscle Man movie. They tried to do a cartoon though, didn't they? They did try to do the cartoon, but I think it was like you know in the, in the early '90s. You know, like, <laughs> people were like, "Who the hell are these guys?" <laughs> You know, but um, I feel like uh, th- yeah, it, it kind of goes with with the uh, well. The reason why I asked if if you thought they came in this container, this garbage pail, because I always used to keep mine in like a red one mm-hmm. that looked exactly like this, except for it was a little bit bigger. And was it? Can you see through? No, like it, it was, was no, it was like solid red, but it looked like exactly the, sh- the shape of it. I wonder if that. And was I always thought like maybe my mom just put them in there. Yeah. Or maybe you could actually buy them in something like that. Yeah, or yeah, or that was like an accessory. Maybe somebody out there knows and can answer that question. About muscle could, men. Could you buy muscle men in like a plastic garbage can looking container? And other people may not even know what muscle men are. But it's something... Look it up. Yeah. Google it. <laughs> Google it. Go look it up in a library. In a, in a uh, 
one of those being <laughs> Go ask Jeeves. <laughs> Bitches. <laughs> Sorry. We're still a little a little drunk. Oh, man. Um, but uh, the reason that half of them can't even stand up. A... We should do this every week. To yeah. break the... So when we're talking so about we it. Surround ourselves with toys, which, you know, we do sometimes. Yeah. But. Um, this was a surprise. It's kind of like with a psychic. It's like sense memory. We're going to hold it in our hands as we discuss the movie. Uh, I used to love these things when I was little. And I have no idea why, because they didn't really do anything. Well, yeah, they're just but little guys. But you would guys. get them, and you would just like look at them. There's just so many them. designs of them, and they're just crazy. Like, my friend used to like take the Play-Doh and stick Play-Doh in them. I know like a lot of kids who had like dried, you know... <laughs> crusted Play-Doh yeah, on top of them. Or, uh, you know, what do you call that? Um, the Play-Doh? Or what's the no? What's the other Silly one? Putty? Silly putty. That's what I'm thinking of. Um, so this is this is a huge topic. It's a huge. This uh, is a big one. This is maybe the biggest topic I know. we've ever done. So we're gonna have to keep it uh, truncated a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> apologize pithy. ahead of time because I know that there are people that are very passionate about sure not just Superman but these movies specifically. Yeah, and uh, full disclosure. Uh, you're going to know about it more about it than I do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to, to those people, and we're just going to. I'm not going to try to be a poser. Here. No, not at all. We're talking we're about it as best. best we can. We're going to skim over highlights, and then it's going to hopefully get people interested to go look at the real, the real, uh, the real story. <sighs> yeah. But um, this for me, Superman Two, um, is one of the original movies I remember watching. And I'd only I only started thinking about it now as a, I guess a frame of reference, and it must have been because Superman three must have came out in what nineteen eighty three, and it must have went on cable HBO or whatever. Yeah. And then because of that, I bet you they were playing the crap out of Superman two. Sure, yeah. So that's probably why, because you know I was born in seventy nine. Superman two comes out in nineteen eighty or eighty one. So I caught it on TV. Yeah. And it must have been because I, and I remember catching on TV as well, Superman 3, watching the crap out of that. Not so much Superman 1. I saw it once or twice, but my stories were 2 and 3. Yeah. And 2 certainly was the first superhero movie I've ever seen, action movie. I mean, you could count Muppet Movie, this, uh,. I have to think of what else, but it's like there's only a couple movies that I remember that young. So much so to the point where I was so fascinated at the, the end, at the end of the movie with the big f- fight scene in Times Square or wherever you think it is in Metropolis. Yeah. Um, I used to take my McDonald's fries, and um, you know, there's a part where uh, Zod is on the scaffolding, like the building's being made. He's on the yeah, you know. Yeah. I used to like break my fries and then like use ketchup and act like it's my heat ray to put them back together. <laughs> nice. So that's how young it is where I'm sitting there playing with my food. And, and this was a regular thing. You know, every time I got fries, I come home, sit in my, my, you know, we come home, I'd sit in my seat and we're eating dinner. You know, I'm not like I had McDonald's every day, but yeah, like, you yeah. know, and then that would be my thing was I'd be like, I do the Superman two thing. And then I haven't seen this movie in since then. <laughs> yeah, literally. But it's so, I know it's so well, it's yeah. been decades. And then you catch it occasionally on TV. I've seen Superman one a couple times since then. I haven't seen Superman three since. Yeah. I and, haven't seen Superman three in a really fucking long time. And I know people have, yeah. And I know people are very opinionated about that. I love Richard Pryor. I'm a big fan of the toy from the day so that was perfect fodder for me like hey it's Richard Pryor he's in this the ending of that movie scared the absolute shit out of me because isn't it Robert Vaughn right I believe it is Robert and Vaughn and remember at the end 
brought up a lot lately. <laughs> exactly. He's another regular guest coming over. <laughs> Remember we had the Ouija board game the other day. We brought back the ghost of Robert Vaughn. Um, but uh, at the end, when that woman gets turned into a robot, like yeah. I couldn't watch that. I would leave the room because to me it was so scary, her going into that weird machine and then getting stuck in the machine. So... Uh, I haven't seen these movies. And then Superman 4, I've only probably seen once or twice. Mm -hmm. And then when the Donner Cut came out, I revisited the Donner Cut. And I loved the Donner Cut of Superman 2. And then that's the last, And then I didn't realize when we started talking about doing this, I went to go pick up, because I got my dad the Donner Cut when it came out, because I knew he wouldn't go get it. He's like, why are you getting me Superman 2 again? And I was like, Dad, it's a Donner Cut. He's like, what does that even mean? <laughs> who's this Donner? <laughs> who, yeah, who, who's, who's Jeffrey Donner? <laughs> Jeffrey Donner. <laughs> Jeffrey Donner. <laughs> From Milwaukee, the, 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 cut? The, the, the serial killer, he's eating people. Um, you know, he knew Richard Donner, but anyway, but I, I didn't realize that's from 2006, that's freaking 13 years ago. I know it's crazy, yeah. So, um, that's my my uh part with it. Good night, <laughs> good night, folks. Yeah, how about you? Uh, apparently, uh, allegedly, I saw this at the movies. Wow, 81, yeah. So, I was probably like three, yeah. Um, I like had a, slightly older than me. I had a pair. I had a. I had Superman underoos. Sure. For those who don't know who what underoos were, you would. It was a pair of brief underwear that was colored whatever superhero or character. So the Superman ones were red with a yellow elastic band. Yeah. <clears throat> and then you get a T-shirt, and I had a Superman T-shirt, and I would wear like uh, blue footy pajamas. So it was like blue pants with the underwear, oh, the briefs over. <laughs> yeah. And then the shirt. And then we had a cape that I think was my brother's that I believe it was initially like changed color in the sun. But wow. by the time I got it, it was just purple. Like Zartan shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, when I got it, it was just like a, a, like a shiny purple material. And so it wasn't red, but that was it was a it's cape with, with like elastic. <laughs> not elastic, but like a Velcro or a snap or something uh, to, to go around your neck. And so the story goes. Uh, my mom says it was the first movie, but it couldn't have been. <laughs> so uh, that we went to go see it, and I wore my underoos. Why do you Why do you say it couldn't have been? Because I would have been a baby, like I would have been an infant. Oh, okay. Or not even born yet <laughs> for Superman the first for movie. the first one. Yeah. Oh, she's saying this is for not for yeah. Superman two. So she must be okay. mistaken, and it must be Superman two. Unless it was a revival. Yeah, it could have been in a pi one of those old picture houses. <laughs> but apparently. Every time Superman would fly, I would stand up on the seat and put my arms out towards the. Oh, I'm getting, I'm getting all teary-eyed <laughs> towards the screen. Yeah, and pretend I was flying every time he flew in the movie. And uh, she said nobody seemed to care. Like the guy behind me didn't care, or at least didn't say anything. Yeah, but I'm like, ah, oh, he liked you a little too much. <laughs> that kid's, you know, he's yeah, into it. He's into it. So apparently, I saw this at the movie theater. Uh, is my guess. Based on that story. Unless my mom's just like, yeah, I was making shit. <laughs> <laughs> my parents do that all the time with me. But uh, I had the soundtrack on record. Yeah. And the record was cool because if you took the piece of vinyl, the black vinyl yeah. uh, record, and you put it in the light and you kind of tilted it a little bit, yeah. they had the Superman emblem in like a, like hidden in there. Oh, wow. <clears throat> that when the light shone on it, you could see the... There's one big emblem that's yeah, like it was, on the record? it was like four, you know. Oh. If, so if it was a clock, there was one at 12, three, <laughs> six, and nine. Yeah. And when he showed, and when I was a kid, I was like, oh, amazing. <laughs> I 
<laughs> you know it. It's like you only you can see it. I'm the chosen one. I'm gonna go jump off my garage roof. <laughs> but when I was writing uh, "Scored to Death," uh, conversations with some of Horace Grant's c- composers, and I was thinking about why, like, when did I start getting into film music? And the I realized that it was kind of always film music was always a part of uh, what I listened to. To me, I don't know when I started to realize that it was actually like there was a difference between film music and regular music because my dad had a lot of soundtracks. We had soundtracks on record like Jaws and um, some of the Bond movies and stuff like that. But my dad had a tape in his car of the first Superman soundtrack, the John Williams score. And I do remember as a kid, every time getting in the car, making my dad put that tape on. Sure. But I put that shit on. <laughs> <laughs> put a gun to his head. <laughs> put it on. Come on. <laughs> and so always listening to the Superman score. And I think that's, and I used to love the record of the two. The, 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 the first, the, the opening to the soundtrack for two. Um, it's probably not really all that all that different than the soundtrack for one, but I just remember thinking it was so dramatic. I used mm. to <clears throat> listen to that first track because it's, you know. It, it's iconic. It's that build-up. And, <clears throat> yeah. then, and then that theme comes in. And even as a kid, I always thought that was really powerful. And I literally got goosebumps when we watched when we watched it this time when that music came on. Because I, I haven't really listened to I should take that back. I did listen to some of the score recently because I bought... Um, I think the company's called La La Land Records. They put out some big box sets on CD yeah. of... It was like a four-disc one of the first movie. Oh, yeah. I, I remember that came out. And then there was uh, like a four-disc one of two and three together. And they also put out like a four-disker of the Danny Elfman's Batman stuff. And they were having a sale recently, and I went balls out, and I just bought all. Like, Is I, it I, all I, like unreleased? It's like everything they had in the vault? I think it's like the soundtrack that was released, and then like every other cue that they recorded. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I might have listened to a little bit of it when that came, but I more was had been, this was maybe a month ago, so it's, it is really recently, but I've been listening to the, the Batman stuff a sure. lot. And then, so I revisited the Superman 2 CD. Yeah. Um, while I was like, I'm going to have to get those two. Researching. Those, uh, multi, the Batman and the Supermans. That, you, you reminded me, I haven't thought of that, that my next door neighbor also had the, uh, <clears throat> records of the stories they oh, had a, yeah. they had a batman one and they had a superman one and the batman one was like the blue batman like the like you know the batman and robin like the the, the detective guy and then superman was a very red comic book superman like from the super friends era sure yeah and i remember that that you know i'd go over there and i'd like just uh, appropriate their record and put it on and listen to it and turn the record over like you know um i mean superman is you know is so iconic it's it's you know it uh it's just amazing he's so I guess we we've we haven't really touched on him on the podcast because we've done everybody else. Yeah, I mean I think he's been brought up here and there. Like when we did Batman, I'm sure we talked about. I know we talked a lot about well, with DC, Bill Finger and, and and getting Bill Finger like on the byline of created by because it was oh, yeah, always yeah. Bob Kane. And I would imagine we talked about Siegel and Schuster when we did that because their fight to get credit for Superman and get paid. Yeah. It's like, you know, a trial, a comic book industry tragedy. And, uh, and the, and they ended up changing 
the way comic book business runs. Yeah. Because of that fight. Even and I know we died. talked about it because I remember talking about Neil Adams. Yeah. Who drew Batman in the 70s, and that's probably why we talked about him. He was very... Uh, it, he was a very key figure in helping uh, Siegel and Schuster get get credit on Superman the movie. I know we talked about um, what's his name, Malcolm Wheeler N- Nicholson, who kind of founded DC Comics, and yeah. he was like a, almost a real life Indiana Jones. I remember reading about him when we did the Batman podcast about how he he, he had big military career and all that, and then he was the first person credited with like uh, making a comic book that was. Not reprints of like oh, yeah, newspaper yeah, comics, and and then this, and then that. He had to sell it or something, and then he sold it to the Gaines, the guy who I think his father, you know, who ends up the son ends up doing maybe EC Comics, you know. But that, but I, I could be wrong with all this. But it's it's around that time of when they made Detective Comics in that era. I remember us re- reading that for Batman. But uh, <clears throat> I mean, we also we talked. I think in Spider Man. When we did a we did a Spider Man cast a few years ago, um, I forgot about that on the on the TV, right? And I remember talking about uh, iconic symbols, yeah, and how like Spider Man's suit was, you know, very important. Um, the look of, of his suit is amazing, but you know, people like uh, characters like Batman and Superman had very specific symbols, uh, the S and the obviously the bat emblem, but. Uh, I think that's for, it's a, it's it's extremely important because I would imagine <clears throat> I mean I don't have any stats to back this up but I would imagine that that Superman S in the triangle you know uh, emblem is probably one of the most recognizable symbols in the world sure <laughs> like I would imagine you could go almost anywhere in the world and show that to people and they would know what it is yeah which is amazing yeah you know I was just talking with somebody about Houdini um, you're doing your magic show, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I say what's amazing is Houdini. Even today, you could probably ask kids who who Harry Houdini is, and they might know at least that he was a magician. But for his day, he was the most famous person in the world. And that's hard back then. It wasn't there was years no ago. internet. No, there was no television. No, radio was still in its infancy. For the most part, so, so was the thing that someone could be that famous worldwide then is a, is astonishing, and then that's just by word of mouth, by newspaper and dime store novel, and then by him just getting on a train or a boat, yeah, and, and going then, to all those regions. And to think that like that's the way Superman is, yeah, you know, I mean, obviously he's had decades. Oh, you know, almost a hundred years to <clears throat> to get that famous, but he's probably been that famous since at least the sixties or seventies. When him, know. when he comes into public domain in twenty thirty three, the <laughs> action comics number one, me and you are going to make our our Superman movie. Uh, it's it's amazing to think. I mean, we've covered earlier people. We've covered Dick Tracy, uh, Chester Gould. We covered Edgar Rice Burroughs, Tarzan. So we've done older. Um, properties, but Superman seems to have, you know, even with the, with the the Tracy and Tarzan, I feel like have fallen out of favor yeah. over the decades. We probably have never covered anything as iconic yeah. as Superman because I feel like Superman. We didn't live through the '60s, say, but certainly he was there. But I don't feel like 
Superman has really ever kind of fallen out of favor. You know, I mean, Batman, you can maybe even argue has too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it's taken other time for, for like, say, Marvel superheroes. People probably knew who Spider-Man was, but until 20 years ago, I'm, I would venture to guess people didn't know the bigger Marvel catalog. Yeah. Well, I would imagine that a lot of, when we talked about Star Wars, we talked about the importance of the merchandising. Yeah. To the popularity of Star Wars and... I would imagine Superman is probably one of the most merched. Yeah, like pioneers <laughs> in that of like selling that character. Yeah, because he was an instant success. Yeah, I mean this guy, uh, this character was created by uh, two kids of Jewish immigrants that lived in Cleveland. Uh, they met in in school. Uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I kept on thinking that I was gonna, that, you know, I'm gonna apologize ahead of time. I keep on thinking Joe Simon, who I think is was Jack Kirby's partner, okay, who they created Captain America. And every time I think of Joe Schuster, I keep on thinking like I'm correcting myself because I'm about to say Joe. Simon. I'm, and I'm saying Simon and Schuster, <laughs> the book publisher. Yeah, so it's it's part of the confusion, but I'm gonna try to stay on track with that. Cleveland's own these two guys. Uh, they met in school and they worked together on the school newspaper. Uh, Siegel would write and uh, and Schuster would draw. Uh, They were both kind of the geeks of their day in the science fiction, which, uh, you know, it's only now those things starting to become really genuinely mainstream. But back then, it was... uh, it was like John Carter of Mars, and I'm sure like H.G. Wells, that kind of Jules Verne's, and, you uh, know, yeah, Little Nemo. And so they probably met in the 20s. Yeah. And then... They put out a magazine uh, on their own called Science Fiction, and in that, and that's that's hard because it was like a mail order thing, right? So think about yeah. how like pioneering that is. That there, I mean, you, I, who knows? Maybe a lot of people were doing that at the time, but, but you just couldn't. Think, it wasn't like you had like a Xerox machine. Yeah, as well as like how you're gonna you have to you go to, door to door. You, you got to go, go to like a, the, but you had to go get to a printer yeah. to get them printed, <laughs> and then you got to get people to want to ordered from you so what yeah. do you do you put it in like a sears and roebuck catalog is yeah. that or a, i didn't see any information as to how popular it was, like yeah. how many they sold so that's why i don't know if it was a popular thing maybe that's what young illustrators did at the time you know we don't know <laughs> yeah i mean it, apparently back then comic strip artists were like celebrities and so that's what they kind of aspired to um you know, they would like meet the president, and I mean, you can see a little bit of that. Obviously, it's afterwards, but you can see some of that with like Schultz. You know, these sure. were these were artists and writers that became celebrities in their own right for creating these characters yeah, that the everybody was- read on Sunday morning or whatever newspaper. You know, that's was a big deal. Yeah, the guy who did the shadow, you know how big he was, and and the Chester Gould, Dick Tracy, those were popular, especially yeah. if it catches on. And then you got to remember too the the newspaper aspect of it that people were reading a lot of these newspaper the the strips in the newspaper. So that was a yeah, you know, that's a way. Well, of, that's originally what they wanted to do was yeah. to do comic strip, not comic books. Really, weren't that much of a thing yet um, until that guy Nicholson. <laughs> there wasn't. Nicholson. Uh, uh, you know, they say that there wasn't really a comic book industry. There was a publishing industry. And so you'd have these publishers like National Allied, uh, whatever, whatever became DC. I would imagine National Allied Publishing, I would imagine, is the name. Yeah. Got uh, got pages of notes here, people. Yeah, tons and tons and tons, <laughs> tons of notes. And so they, uh, they created this f- for the science fiction magazine that they were putting out. 
they created they did a story called the reign of the superman and in it the the superman was a bad guy and yeah. he was bald so he kind of resembled what lex Luthor would originally look like and it was a story right it's not a comic it no was like it they was were just still a story writing. in this anthology yeah book so of stories there a uh, magazine of stories they were putting out and it was, and then they have they had a falling out at one point, but I think is after this, and then they came back together because they were trying to make it in their own way in the industry. But it was point is that there was a, a market just for putting out just stories as well, like you know, just just in in like periodicals or magazines. Yeah, and they say that you know, depending on where you look, that and I would imagine that it, it obviously had some kind of effect on Jerry Siegel, but um, how could it not? But. Uh, apparently somewhere around that time, probably in his teens or early 20s, those formative years before he's, they start really working within the, uh, the, the comic strip or comic book industry as young adults, uh, Jerry Siegel's father dies of a heart attack while being robbed at gunpoint. And the, and the person who was robbing him never got brought to justice. And they, uh, they say this is like a very like an inciting in, uh, incident in that that longing for justice is what kind of inspired Superman yeah. to create like take what if we took this super this idea of a Superman and he was and we had him do good and at the same time Joe Schuster was always like a very pretty meek small guy and he always wanted to be. He was always mail ordering. Yeah, the strong man. The strong man stuff and trying to learn how to bulk up. And, and so the Olympics the and stuff. The two of their two, the, you know, their two obsessions, not obsessions, but their interests of, you know, being strong and being something that Joe Shushita was not and wanted to be. And then Jerry Siegel, this longing for a hero that would fight crime, much like, you know, Batman. I mean, it's almost like a Batman story. Sure were the the big uh influences on on why they would create superman and they say they started developing the character of superman as we know it in 1933 yeah and that's when they started shifting over to comic strips i guess and trying to get work there and trying to get something to like pitch to newspapers to yeah. do a strip and they apparently they were they had shopped superman around to every newspaper they could and it was always uh shot down always rejected but they were finding business they were finding work yeah working in in the comic strip newspaper industry and and uh and they had like a stuff. weird they had a fight and they went their separate ways for for a minute and they did separate things and then i think they were independently trying to 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 get um superman off the ground maybe a little bit and that's when they were you know they were fleshing out different origins of him right where he's like uh you know maybe he's a science adventurer and you know th there could be a, a a difference in this there's two different ones but it was a the first idea was that like uh he comes back in a time machine and like he sent like the the world's about to blow up like because of like uh quote giant cataclysms so he comes back and he's like the last surviving man and he comes back uh or he sends his three-year-old son back and then that's the, you know they find him on the side of the road you know in the yeah. year 1935 and then uh you know they're still messing with the origins of what they're going to do with the guy and then i guess they you know the two of them come back together and they they kind of reunite and then they're you know they, they put whatever their their beef was aside that they were having issues with and because i think they were uh, they were working with the you know the artist from Fu Manchu trying to do something or whatever. When they come back together, that's when they revisit the idea of hey, let's try to 
get this guy off the ground again. You know, let's try to like, you know, really get the backstory of who he is. Yeah, I mean, part of you know the, the notion of Superman as a character was a fairly new concept. Um, he's cited as being the first superhero, which is not exactly true. Um, you had like Mandrake, the magician, was before him, and he had superpowers. Yeah, but this idea of something new is often in business kind of poo-pooed on yeah because people are don't want to take chance they think it's you know might be stupid or won't work they're afraid to to do something like that so it's it's one of the reasons why it was it was a hard sell but by 1937 you know we're in the depression and uh these two publishers who work for national allied publications Jack Leibowitz and Harry Dunnenfeld, th- their business is not going so well, and they are just desperate enough to take a chance. Yeah. And so they're like, hey, remember those two guys who had that Superman comic? And so they hire uh, Siegel and Schuster to basically take their the comic strips they had been writing as, you know, you know, that they were shopping around and saying, well, what if you put those, if you can put that into one book instead of these like four f- panel comics or whatever. Do a 13 page kind yeah. of a comic issue because that had become popular. Combine them all into one story. And so then they made this book and they, <laughs> they fucking unfortunately uh, sold all the rights to Superman for $10 a page on that initial book. Which wasn't uncommon at the time. And you do that all the time. I mean, in the 30s, because of uh, the Depression and then because of, like, you know, the era of the gangster coming to an end after prohibitions revoked, you think about Dick Tracy's popular, crime fighters are popular, the underdog fighting for the, you know, for for the guy out in the street who's working a terrible job but doesn't have a job that idealism so by the time this becomes relevant they're looking for somebody to sell you know at the, at the time it was it was the idea where if you're working for a publisher you know whatever you create is yeah, under I there mean, it was money you know and th- I mean, that was good money at the time $130 was a lot of money at yeah, that time I mean that's it's and they had you know they, they were not the fee. <laughs> yeah and they you weren't know? necessarily you know business savvy guys and you can never know what the future holds yeah and i'm sure these kinds of deals were extremely common and then it was it meant more work yeah so i mean they got paid well for what they were doing but considering what they ultimately did and how popular the character became almost instantly yeah they didn't get paid well enough i mean this is goes to the other conversation we've talked about before with residuals and television yeah i mean people didn't start getting residuals until what the 70s i think yeah. well you, you know hear all these awful record deal sure yeah exactly you know, billy joel sold off yeah. the rights to all his publishing just to get that first record right yeah the doo-wop guys i mean they you know or the blues the chess records sure. you, know, you know all that kind of stuff back then where people were just you it know it's common practice probably you know still happens today I'm sure. and you know and there's an element of like how can you be so stupid but at the time one, that's the world you're living in. Two, there was no idea, I think, of longevity. You're not thinking about nowadays it's all money more yeah. money I mean, more quarterbacking. Was, there was no way of them knowing that two schmoes would be talking about <laughs> Superman in, you in, know, in eighty a, years later. In a basement on a couch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on you a know, podcast. Because you look at what else was out there at the time and we talked about, you know, Edgar Rice Burroughs. I mean you think of all these these uh pulp art you know, 
authors that were writing all this disposable, you had Fu Manchu, you had Mandrake the Magician, you had Zorro, you had Lone Ranger, you had all these radios popular. So there's so the shadow, there's so many people around. It's like, yeah, let's, yeah. you know, you want to just, you know, it's like when you're trying to start out, it's like, what do you have to lose? You know, it's like, sure, there's a risk there. You want to get it to be popular. Uh, you know, Wheeler and Nixon, Wheeler Nicholson, as I said before, he, uh, invented the first comic book and he had this idea and then when he ran into financial difficulties he sold them to Lieberwitz and uh, and that's what eventually ends up becoming Detective Comics but they think of putting out with uh, I was to say Simon and Schuster you see yeah yeah um, th- with the two of them they end up premiering a new comic called Action Comics and Action Comics number one they're like hey let's have this be the story that we're gonna have um, came out June of 1938 Action Comics number one with the iconic Superman image lifting a fucking car I was one a car it was a car <laughs> that, was, that was a piece of you could take a tree down and the car is fine none of this plastic crap that you see today <laughs> yeah, it and, was. you know it, it's not uh, it's not the first time you have somebody who has a like you know a, a, a uh, a dual identity you had you know Mascazuro you had uh, um, uh, the Scarlet Pepernil mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you so you know and then there's other you know John Carter of Mars there's other people who had you know telepathy clairvoyance yeah. superhero strength Man- Mandrake the Magician was created by Lee Falk mm-hmm. uh, who also created the Phantom later yeah and Mandrake's uh, first appearance was he he was first published in 1934 and also there was a character called phantom magician who uh was a side character in a newspaper comic strip called the adventures of patsy and that comic strip ran from 35 to 40 so superman doesn't appear in action comics number one until 1938 so there were instances of characters with superpowers and as Dion said there were instances of heroes with secret identities and things but uh it, you know it's i feel like we don't fully i mean i maybe we do but i guess i guess i can only say for myself you don't fully appreciate the impact of the silent era in the 20s because say a lot of those films are lost yeah but like you think about how huge douglas fairbanks was or um uh what's his name who died prematurely that the women loved uh uh He's on the tip of my tongue. Fatty Arbuckle. <laughs> fatty Arbuckle. The old, good old Fatty Arbuckle. <laughs> I don't think he died uh, prematurely. You know, uh, what's his name? The, the, he was a huge sex symbol. Um, his, Valentino? Yes, thank you. Valentino. Rudolph you think of Valentino? Is that his yeah, name? Yeah. You think of how big these guys were. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you're looking to emulate, you know, what you're seeing in, in TV or what you're reading, you know. So for them to take, uh, you know, the looks of Douglas Fairblanks playing, you know, Zorro, or, or, or um, what's his name? Weissmuller playing Tarzan. And then you take the meek, uh, who we bring up quite a bit here, Her- uh, Harold Lloyd. Yeah. And as, you know, and then develop, it's just, without getting down that road of, of, of Superman's actual character, it's just, it's amazing that the stuff you pick from, like we talked about in the Batman podcast, that there was a character from a couple decades prior to that, that, almost resembled more of the shadow but he was kind of a guy who had a dual identity that that they kind of you know it's like you think you now and when you look back you see who cherry picked from what sure you know always the best ideas are stolen say or i forget whatever the the uh the quote is but you know yeah i mean that's 
you know, you just you like this here. You take a little from column A, column B. <laughs> there's almost know. nothing that is totally original. Yeah, you know, it's uh, just how you present the idea. I think is the original concept yeah. now because they say there's only, you know, going back to the Greeks, there's only like you know, what, eight, nine or ten. I forget what it is of how many stories there are. Or if we, you know, <laughs> as Dion always said, we give you half the information. <laughs> yeah, you got to go the rest. Of the way. Gotta go, yeah, <laughs> gotta go. You gotta go. Uh, you know, but it's it's just it's amazing to think about you know what. What, what they're trying to, you know, what they're trying to make stick to the wall, you know, G-Men are popular, G, you know, the FBI are yeah. are, well, are the, the heroes. Is, Superman comes out at a time where comics were things like Dick Tracy. You had detective stories, as we talked about in our previous episode. Uh, last two three hours more, we had a lot of you know Western. Yeah, comics. Western comic is strips huge. Were Tom Mix is in the silent movie, and you theaters. did have guys like Jack Carter and and uh, John, John, Carter. John Carter and. Uh, Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon, but those were all like normal guys in extraordinary circumstances. Like they didn't have superpowers. Yeah, they're just like, but they were adventurous, and it was science fiction. Uh, so then, Doc Savage, like all that kind of like, where we also that kind of gives you an element of where Indy Indiana Jones comes from. Yeah, that idea of the adventurer and all that. But then you stuff. get like this guy in a cape and tights. Uh, Lifted a car over his Loud, side. too. Red, blue. You know, it's not like he's like, you know, Batman who hasn't come out yet, but, you know, he's in dark colors. The shadow is in dark. You know, you're lurking in the, shadow, the shadows, no pun intended, but Superman's freaking, you know, red cape, blue tights, you know, he's ready to go. And it's funny because when he first comes out, you have a little bit of like we talk about in Batman in 1939, where like you know Batman's killing people. Batman's got a he's carrying a 45, <laughs> yeah. you know, shoulder holster under under his uh, under his arm. Where Superman in these first couple issues, you know, he's throwing guys. He don't care how they land. He's picking cars <laughs> up. Yeah. He you know he's going after you know abusive husbands, landlords who are bad. He's actually clearing slum housing, <laughs> you know, for uh, people who are living in slums in the ghetto back then when it was probably you didn't have any like interior pipes. For, for plumbing or even maybe electric, who knows, you know? So it's like he's like really servicing the, you know, he's, he's a voice of the people. That you see the shadow well, of Batman He's being. a refugee from another world. He's an immigrant. He's an immigrant to this planet. It's also, you know, as Dion's kind of indicating, is that, you know, there was a big, especially like at the, the late 1800s and going, there was a big urbanization going on in America. So this is a guy who's in an urban environment, Fighting crime, fighting urban crime, fighting crime in a future time. <laughs> uh, yeah, the industrial revolution. And we were just, we were gear. on the verge of going into going to war just a few years later yeah, again. So you know, like it was a turbulent time. There was worry about that. There was. This seems like there was. It's one of those things where like things, uh, aspects, things that are going on, the environment, things just come together and they connect in a way. Yeah, that is just explosive you yeah. know and, and lightning in a bottle type of stuff yeah and superman is an instant success yeah i mean because he comes out uh action comics number one comes out in 38 and then superman appears uh it, it, then it gets turned into a, a comic strip in 39 mm -hmm. he appears mm -hmm. uh in his own comic book which was rare at that time sure in 39 to have like a book dedicated to one character, and then and then, and then he's at the World Fair in '39. So just a year later, he's in Action Comics for his own story. But then, as you're saying, Blake, is that by '39 he gets his own title, Superman? Yeah, yeah. And then and then the World's Fair is huge in '39, and as well as at the time too, which you have Hitler who's overseas, he's already denouncing. 
Like you had Goebbels, Joseph Goebbels, who was uh, Hitler's campaign propaganda minister, come out and say, you know, Superman's a Jew and Superman was created by Jews because you go back that they were obsessed with, say, Friedrich Nietzsche, the big uh, German philosopher from the 1870s, 80s. He actually went insane yeah. and died in an asylum. But he's the one who kind of coins the, super, the uber... Uberman, I you know Uber Uber, you know like whatever whatever the um, the ger- German yeah. term is a dramatic term, but he Ubermenschen, but he coins that you know the term of the Superman, and then that's something that becomes quite common in the twenties and thirties, a man of great ability, sure. you know, or Superman. So I think there were co- connotations for the older uh, generations, especially ones of European heritage that they knew Nietzsche, they knew who he was, they knew about what's going on in Germany, the idolization of Nietzsche and his, because Nietzsche had some very extreme positions about, you know, uh, not eugenics, but like, you know, uh, Aryan race, superiority, you know, only the, almost like the Darwinism, the only the fit survive kind of a thing. So, uh, you know, Hitler's, he's so popular that it's already reaches Hitler where Hitler, they, they, they make a, put a statement out on the wires, you know, that, you know, that, that Superman is, he's a Jew and he's, he's, you know, Jew ways or whatever the hell he says, you know, because, yeah, you know, I guess it also represents too visually. It is a product of the West in America, you know, and you can very easily. You I know. mean, I don't know when that when that term gets coined, but eventually, at some point, truth, justice, in the American way, yeah, becomes like the slogan for Superman. Sure, nineteen forty, he appears as a float in the Macy's parade. That's huge. I, That's yeah. back when they used to like let the floats go afterward. <laughs> They did that for a couple of years. Yeah, just let that shit go. They're like, yeah, who cares? Like, it's like they don't realize, you know. So it just floats away, and they realize when it hits a building or a zeppelin going over, they're like, maybe we shouldn't let those things just float away. Uh, I mean, uh, think about like the meteoric rise of popularity that has to occur, and as you were saying, in an age before the internet, before television. Yeah, uh, you got radio, and that radio helps but, propels them. But he also doesn't, you know. This all happens before he appears in a radio show, yeah. which is still same year as the Macy's Parade, The Adventures of Superman, the radio show, hits the airwaves on uh, February 2nd, I mean, February 12th, 1940. So then he becomes a part of a, a radio serial voiced by Bud Collier, Collier, and who, we know, who later becomes a game show host. Yeah, right? and we know him, what is it, uh... Um, uh, I have a secret. I think it's to tell which you if you watch the the channel Blake and I like right now called Buzzer B U Z Z R. A lot of people still don't know about that network, and we're not being paid by them. We just like the channel, but they play all the old fifties through, so like, through the seventies, sometimes 80s. in the eighties. Yeah, game shows, but their big thing, which I really love them, they're playing the really older stuff, especially the fifties live stuff. But you'll see Bud Collier there; he's doing yeah. a lot of the stuff. And then to think about. Him voicing him on the radio, and it's a brilliant thing because then they take him and put him in the cartoon because people know the voice from the radio. When the Fleischer cartoons come out in 41 and, and 43. Yeah, but they, when when he starts getting popular, Superman, they invent this Bible, like the it's the radio serial that com, comes up with it, like crypt, Kryptonite and well, all this other, kind of, you know, it's, yeah, that's, that's a, the, amazing. The, the filler, by episode two, they're getting some yeah, stuff. Yeah, because you know. it, it's like anything... Um, like the mythology, the lore, you know, it, it is developed over time. Yeah. Like for instance, when, you know, I don't think we haven't covered any vampire movies. Like, I guess we did the lost boys, but you know, there's a lot of vampire lore that gets developed obviously oh. over time, but into the film, you know, like Nosferatu is where a, 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 
is where like a, a vampire is killed by sunlight. That is developed in the silent film Nosferatu. Sure, you know that was, and that is now given. That's yeah, part of the mythology part, yeah, yeah. now. So Superman flies for the first time yeah, in the radio show. That's the thing too. People didn't realize that's where you listen to it. The tall leap at a single bound. So. He just jumped around he the city. Just, yeah, he would just leap around, jump around, bounce off buildings. Hulk style. Yeah, and then he would, I mean, his early powers are like him, like, ripping chains off or, like, you know, running past a locomotive, you know, that kind of stuff, or, you know, stopping a bullet. It's very elementary, you know, and then yeah. by two, the second episode of the radio series, the radio series lasts, I think, like, maybe, like, 12 or 15 years is, yeah, he flies, you know, and they, they start feel you know... They invent kryptonite for that. Jimmy Olsen becomes a big ca- a bigger character. Well, it's good because they want to relate him to the younger... Because they, they, they shoot it for kids. And that's, I think, the brilliant thing is yeah. they, they market it towards children. The Daily Star is the name of the newspaper initially, but then in the radio show, it's the Daily Planet. Yeah. Also the name of Perry White. Yeah, he changes. So a lot of the mythology is actually developed in the radio show. Yeah. And then, as Dion kind of indicated, in 41, uh, Fleischer Studios does a, a animated shorts, um, and they also have Bud Collier voice Superman in the shorts, which would run in the movie theaters. To, to, the, to, tell, the tr- to tell the truth is his uh, radio show, uh, his, his game show in the 50s, Bud Collier. And he, Bud Collier also invents, like... Uh, Oh, the the duality of the, the voice, voice yeah. like you know, like uh, you do do your uh, do your Kevin Conroy impression of Bruce <laughs> Will, Bruce Wayne. <laughs> oh hi! Yeah, it's like the higher register, like yeah. oh, hey, how are you guys? And so uh, Collier's like, you know, it's this is a job for Superman, and it's great. <laughs> like it's two different people. You're like, holy crap, you know? And he's like, I'll go, Lois. You know, fuck that shit. And then it's you know, <laughs> oh, that's no, sorry, but it's like, yeah, but it's. It is such a, and you think about too, where he's having to. I mean, you know, I lament about this all the time, but radio is live, and to just think when you listen to one of those, all the sound effects are done by people and all yeah. that kind of. You know, they couldn't record. The, they would sometimes have to do the same show twice for the West Coast audience, you know, because they couldn't record the stuff properly in playback. Yeah. So all that stuff's just like a live play. So for him to stand in front of a mic with a script he probably hasn't really memorized, you're just used to doing it in a flow. Sure. That he's doing that lower higher register where i mean he's not going back and forth like he's yeah, a split yeah. personality but you know he has to you know it's part of the disguise yeah you know but you know. much like conroy did with batman in the in the animated series yeah and the animated series batman which is the iconic show that we all grew up with yeah Dion and i and, and much of our listening audiences the art of that is somewhat based on the fleischer animation sure it's it's a, I it's mean, a if milestone you lo- if you look at those Animated Fleischer shorts of Superman. They are gorgeous. Yeah. They, 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 uh, they're rotoscoped, which means that they, f- they take film of actual people and then they paint over them frame by frame to get a more realistic uh, way of movement. And when you watch those, they're just gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, content-wise and pacing-wise, they're very different than the kinds of things we're used to. But uh, from, a, from a, just a visual medium... I mean, they are beautiful yeah, to, but to it, watch. There's no leap of, um, <clears throat> you know, you can you can still put that on for a kid and be, be thoroughly oh, yeah, entertained I mean, how the art looks. You know, it's so well, and it's the think about that's the first time anyone's ever seeing Superman moving, as he's yeah. moving in in this cartoon form, and it's this beautiful. I mean, they were they were doing they were doing 
first $50,000 an episode. First, um, Fleischer Studios does the first nine episodes, and then the next eight episodes is done by a studio called Famous Studios, and then the, it goes down from fifty to $30,000. But that's still like a half a million dollars in today's money. Yeah. So you think about you know the money they're throwing at to do an eight to ten minute cartoon, and like and you're I, saying, the and rotoscoping. I think, and I think Schuster supplied... Uh, all the stories and stuff. Well, yeah, but like, uh, you know, like guidelines of how what Superman looked like. Sure. So that he would look like the the comic book. Yeah. The like the the print version of him. So it wasn't like a far leap. And the deck they come out between 1941 and 1943. But like you're saying, just to think of how much influence. I mean, you look at those, and they may even be public. I don't know if they're public domain now, but I feel I like... I think they are, because you can find yeah, them for cheap like $2. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if anyone hasn't seen these, they definitely influence, I think, animation. Even Disney, who he's already come out with Snow White by that point, in a lot of the other shorts, you think about just... I think it kind of is a game changer to a certain extent because of how much money they're throwing at it and just how beautiful, yeah. how realistic. It's up there with the Snow White level of realism. Because, because I mean, shorts were really like a B... Yeah, business like a Looney know? Tunes or a Merry Melodies. But back then, uh, I mean, that's like the hey- that's really like the heyday of animation. I mean, sure. obviously, it's you know, it's still pretty early on in the it's you know, it's not in the infancy of motion picture, but it's still pretty early on in the in the business. And the th- to, when you watch those Looney Tunes and then the, the, these Fleischer things, and they were Fleischer was in, uh, known for Popeye at yeah. that point, the early Popeye shorts. Gorgeous. I mean, it's just it's it's unfortunately a lost art. That uh, on a side note is the other movie back then when I was little, um, oh, Altman's Popeye with um, Rob Williams. Williams was a huge. I mean, that thing is. We should do you that. Know, oh, sure, I'm sure we will. <laughs> but you know, that, it's what we had in the early '80s. But getting back to this, yeah, it's so it's amazing to think of. And then you're bringing in, you're bringing over Collier, and then you're bringing over the female woman who did the voice for. Um, so for Lois Lane, yeah. Know. So kids, if you're it's listening like to it when, on the radio, it's like when Conroy goes over, and even though Batman looks different in a lot of those, like uh, when they started doing those DC animated movies, you know, uh, just he, he didn't always voice him in those movies that were popular in the, the not popular, but they started doing a lot in like the early 2000s, and they still do them. Um, Conroy voiced a lot of those, even though he didn't look like the Batman from the animated series, but it was like, that's the way yeah. Batman sounds. So, you know, at that point, Collier was the way Superman sounded. And, you know, you, you were talking about the insecurities both the creators had kind of about, say, their looks or how they were with women, and that ends up being part of that love triangle of the Clark Kent versus Superman with Lois Lane. And it's hard because Lois Lane's character, and we could talk about her in, when we get to Superman 2 in, in an hour or two. <laughs> um, it's just, you know, it's, it's hard... To play, it's it's a hard level, you know. It works back in the day more, but then to bring her to contemporary and have her not just be a bitch, no, you know, no fault yeah, intended. Yeah. It's it's a it's a hard way to, well, to play it then. Yeah, because I mean, we're still this is and I don't mean I, women's live. And I, I'm sorry, I, I mean be a bitch in the sense of how she relates to exclusively to like Clark Kent and then Superman. I don't mean like in life. Yeah, yeah. you know, just the love triangle, the dichotomy there between her not knowing. Clark she likes Superman, she likes Superman, but she has, so, she puts up and you know deals with Clark Kent. Yeah, you know. But I mean, you're right. Prior to Women's Live, she's I mean like an iconic character, and it also shows you, you know, unfortunately, you know, it shows you the importance of and the prestige of 
newspapers yeah. back then, like how important they were. Oh, yeah, up until probably the, to, to the, you know, the movies of the 70s. I mean, it's hard because on one end, she does become, she fulfills her role as a damble, damsel in distress, and certainly a lot of the radio show and then like the Fleischer cartoons, I'm sure in the comics. But at the same time, she is trying to be the pioneering woman. She's trying to go get that quote-unquote story. Yeah. So she's, mean, she's putting a, herself she's in that danger. She's a woman without a family. Yeah, you know, she's, she's career-minded. She's not, she's not housekeeper, you know, a house, yeah. house mom. And you see that, you know, in wife. cinema, you know, there's there's um, a great, I think it's the, maybe it's the original, Original um, wax, the House of the Wax, uh, House of Wax. But uh, what's her name in that? Um, uh, Ray. She, you know, she's I think a reporter in that. You know, you see that in the '30s, a lo- real strong-minded yeah. female reporter. Well, his Faye girl, Ray, his you know, girl Friday. Yeah, you know, you know, it starts to become. You start to see these stronger, the emerging female of, characters. You know, and I wonder if that goes back to like. You know, with the women's suffrage and then, like, say, the tragedy of the Triangle Factory Fire where, you know, there wasn't, you know, a lot of women died. And then they were like, dude, we need a union with rights. We need to be able to have this or that. And then so when that moves into the 20s, it paves the way for the 30s where you're having, you know, journalists or, or you know, newspaper columnists being what we would now, I'd say, it's probably on the level of big name celebrity, like, oh. Oprah's, or, yeah. you know, those kind of reporters. And also, or, it's a great device to have them reporters because then they can always know what's going on. Yeah. You know, they yeah. get it coming on a wire. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, it's cutting edge. It's very smart because it gets you right on the front lines of what they need to be doing and that gets them into the conflict. But at the same time, it's very prevalent because at the era, that's where you're getting your, you're getting your, I mean, also people may forget that we had. I think there were maybe two or three newspapers a day. You'd have the morning paper, yeah. you'd have maybe the afternoon, and then you'd have like a later evening edition. Yeah, you know, and that stopped by the time we were growing yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, because you they didn't you didn't, you didn't have, need that anymore. You had news on the television yeah. three times a day. But uh, but when you had stuff coming out, that was how you get your news. You'd have to wait for it to come out in the paper form, you know, or whatever, or hear it on the radio. So um, Nin- after nineteen forty eight we get a live action serial. Yeah. Which I think are really cool when you watch them now. The fact that like to get away get With around this guy this, Kirk Allen, that like the first serials the first like uh live action. Live action yeah. Superman. He fly when he flies though, he becomes an animation. So when he takes off, it's like the actor kind of jumps. Yeah. And then a cartoon Superman takes off and apparently uh from research people complained about that but i think it's awesome i think when it, you watch it cool. now it's it's like wow like how how as opposed to just putting like a dummy in the air on a rope yeah you know like, i mean well, it, it's so creative and to the, look at the, the you know these these being the first live action being in a theater probably as a short that you'd see between a newsreel or a feature or a cartoon so they were definitely aiming these towards children the yeah. target audience which is smart so i don't think it would kids would mind too much i mean he you know they may just like oh he's freaking flying yeah. you know it's like i, mean, I think it looked great yeah when you, when you watch it now <laughs> I actually it. it's lo- awesome you know i've tried to, i've gone back and i've watched some of the batman serials yeah and i've watched the superman serials. i actually i like the these uh kirk allen starred uh just the superman sure serials from 48 and then they do a sequel uh series called adam man versus superman in 1950 yeah and then the first feature Superman film, Superman and the Mole Men from 1951, is where we get introduced to George Reeves. Oh, God bless him. 58 minutes long, that B-movie. And uh, that's so groundbreaking, the Mole Man. You know, and it's you get this a lot where this is 51, so TV is, you know, has been on the airwave since like the late 40, 47, 48, 49. So you do 
a lot of times a feature as quote unquote the pilot you'd see that people you know in the 70s you get like a lot of uh you know 90 minute length tv movies that were the pilot to a show yeah but they would do this here i know like um uh, you know, The Ventures of Ozzy and Harriet did it. You know, you, you do a feature, you grab people to rope them in, and then it would turn into a, a, a TV show. And I don't know if that was their intention here. I, feel, I saw indications that it, it may have, that it was, but, yeah. you know, it's, tar- it's hard to know with uh, information on the internet. Sure. But it seems like it was, they knew they were going to do, do a television show. And then, so in some ways, this may have been the pilot. And it was also, it was, a, it was an interesting story of like, tolerance you know because everybody's like he's crazy well then fuck him and then superman at the end's like well, no don't kill these guys yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like, just as scared as you are and it's just basically little guys running around they look like little people with big heads like my head you know they're all like running around like hey you know and it's george reeves you know and george reeves at the time was known kind of because he was in um gone with the gone wind. with the wind and uh, he was, I think he's like in his late 30s, he's around our age around this time, and he's kind of frustrated because his career isn't really going anywhere, you know, and he does this movie, and then this gets in the TV series. Which uh, premieres in 52. The, the Mole Men was 51, and The Adventures of Superman premieres in 52. And I think it's black and white. Initially, I don't think until season three it becomes color, but I always remember it in black and white. Okay. It used to be on, when I was growing up, it was on in the mornings. Uh, maybe around like nine thirty, ten o'clock in reruns on one of the UHF channels. Yeah, I mean, this was, I remember it playing when, I, when we were little. And uh, that, that song, even that music is iconic. Sure, yeah, and the whole opening, dun, yeah. dun, dun, you know, Superman, and then you, in the little Faster intro, a little speeding bullet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, and I think that even changes. And I remember once. <laughs> watching the pilot like the, you know one morning i turned it on and it was the first one and it's like they're on krypton and he's like you know we're gonna get everybody out you know and i was like oh my god it's the first one you know the, recognizing that as a little and that was so iconic that in the color uh, you know the color series maybe they played them on nickelodeon or yeah maybe they played them on a show but i remember watching them when i was little and being super into them and you know it's freaking superman and that was also marketed towards a kid's audience and uh that show ran from 52 to 58 and then it was like you know the radio show i think in the in 40 is when they start really merchandising superman yeah so then you start to get like you know everything under the sun and, and then, they also and then, when, and then when the show came about they started a big merchandising push again yeah now this at this point um they also make them less deadly in the radio show, and they make them more kid-friendly. Yeah. You know, they kind of kitty them up for the, them. By the, when you hit the series in the 50s, it's but, like... But this is also, you know, all this time, uh, Siegel and Schuster are writing Superman. They start to become bigger. They get their own office. They start hiring other artists to help because the, they're, they're just churning out so much Superman. Um, and then during World War II, uh, Schuster can't go because he's got poor eyesight. Yeah. But uh, Siegel goes off to World War Two in '43, right? He's drafted, or he goes away. He goes, or he enlists something. Yeah, and then when he comes back, um, while he's in in the army, or in, I don't remember what division he's in, but he while he's in World I War Two, I think II, he's in the Navy. Somebody he meets somebody who's a lawyer, and by that point, while he's away, they create. Uh, this is the first time somebody else is writing Superman, and they create a Superboy series. 
which was an idea that he pitched before he left and they, they turned down. But now there's just like Superman's getting so popular that they're just like churning out like, and the popularity of Jimmy Olsen on the radio show, they start doing like the Jimmy Olsen friend, Superman, pal, Superman, pal of Superman. He goes, he goes to Hawaii into the army in 43. And then, yeah, while he's over there, they, they, they're trying to, since it's so popular, they're trying to generate new content. So they, they grab an idea called Superboy, which I guess is something maybe he pitched or he gave them a, he, an outline. I think or, he pitched it and they turned you know, it down initially. And now they're using but, it without his permission. But so he starts to get pissed. He's like, look at these, you know, how much money this is generating. And he's in the army, you know, and, fighting you know, a war. And I'm here, but like, you know, we're not making any, you know, comparatively, we're not making nearly much money. So when he comes back, uh, I think it was what, 47? Yeah. He decides that they're going to, him and he talks Schuster into that they're going to sue. So they were on the books for DC Comics from 38 when they make this Superman to 47. And they were getting, you know, they, they, they signed the contract away to his rights, which was what they did back then. But it became more popular than they, they realized. Yeah. And then so they're still getting paid you know, a good amount of money from DC because I think DC knows what they have, so they're just trying to keep it well, quiet. Well, they're also, they're, they're working. Yeah. You know, they're the ones creating the comic books. So. so by the time he gets out of the army in 47-ish, I guess, uh, is he comes back to, to like you're saying, and he, he they, they end up going and they, putting their first lawsuit at DC real, Comics. They realize that they deserve a bigger piece of the pie. Yeah, they want, they, the, they want the rights to Superman and Superboy. But then the, a judge rules that Superman belongs to DC Comics because they signed it away. So, yeah, 47, they sue. He says, the judge says, look, you signed a contract. Yeah. It's legally binding. Yeah, what the hell? You know, I think they appeal, and then they the DC decides to settle out of court with them. Well, I think the judge also says, but the contract doesn't say anything about Superboy. So, mm-hmm. so you have some you know, stake or some rights to the Superboy character. And then they settle, they make a settlement for Superboy. Yeah, out of court. Now, little did they know, well, unfortunately, what happens is when they sue DC, everything is on the line. Yeah. Not just the rights to Superman, but they know that they're, they're call, they're making waves at their place of employment. Yeah, and if they lose, and it's the it, this is a title of theirs that has a radio show, has a comic, has a serial, uh, a movie serial at this point. So, but they know that like not only their jobs are at stake. Yeah, if they lose, they're not going back to work at DC. But it's, they could ruin their careers. It's it's interesting because I don't know what their anticipation was of what they thought was going to come out of that because once they do settle out of court, DC does fire them. Yeah. He's just like, fuck I it. think they were thinking you know, if they had the rights to it, then they, they would be set for with, life. Yeah. They might not have the work anymore. Yeah. Now, the the sad irony of it is, this is 47. In 48 or 49, their contracts with DC uh, likely would have been renewed had they not sued. Yeah. They might have been able to renegotiate for a bigger cut of the pie. So then by 50, 51, when the television goes on, the the show goes on the air, they probably would have been set for life. Uh, so uh, sadly, there's a, in all likelihood, you know, them actually suing became, a, you know, really their own it's, kind it of worked ruined, against them, kind of ruined, ruined everything. Yeah. Um, now that becomes a, a bigger 
story in the 60s you know they're they re, 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 revisit lawsuits in the 60s but well they get going sh- back to <laughs> well he gets the uh siegel gets rehired as a writer in 57 by dc so they're like yeah come on well, back. i think his his wife siegel's wife who was uh not just the visual model for lois lane but also was like a strong outspoken woman i think she calls dc and she shames them into Can you imagine hiring that? him. Your wife, you don't even know, and your wife's like, I did something for you today. Don't be mad. <laughs> it's like, well, I got him She's on the line. She's like, how dare you treat him like this? He has mouths to feed. You know, like, uh, so they hire him back, and he becomes the staff writer on Superman. And he writes issues of Superboy and... Uh, and Superman, but as like a staff guy, like he's not, she's not running the show anymore. And then you think about, uh, we, we, we're glossing over a lot of this, but there's, there's a series of editors that, that come in and kind of also help, you know, uh, have the series be in a certain way where, you know, at the beginning they realize, Hey, Superman can't kill people. Like we said, you know, Superman, maybe then he's flying, you know, they start generating some rules. 54, you have the Wortham seduction of the innocent so what into the 40s superman then becomes very popular because of the war he's he's selling war bonds he's up there like with batman and robin i mean there's you know people he becomes the face of almost america then after the war you get into the 50s westerns are huge like we just covered last week or last episode so uh there's also another explosion into uh other comics coming out and we're getting the ec comics and like you're saying but then in the mid 50s with frederick wortham coming out uh, you know, with the seduction of the innocent, he writes, and then there's some subcommittee hearings. Wortham actually points to Superman, and doesn't he say Superman is is a homosexual or something like that? <laughs> yeah. He starts saying that he is. Well, he definitely points to Batman and Robin. Uh, yeah, because and... of the panels, because they're sleeping together in the same room, and he's saying like, "See, they must be gay because they're sleeping in the same room." And then the artists are like, "It's just the economy of the of the, <laughs> of the <laughs> frame." Have so many panels. Yeah, it's like you know, instead of if they're you know, it's better to have them just looking both out the window in the same panel, saying, "Hey, look, the bat symbol," as opposed to Batman getting up, seeing it, walking over to Dick Grayson, and be like, "Hey." But Wortham book a seduction of the innocent in a nutshell was he did a study and he printed this this study in that he interviewed like juvenile delinquents there's a big level of juvenile delinquency in the 50s which you start seeing you know of course in rebel without a cause or the uh what's the one with uh brando the the not the defiant ones that's the chain gang one but you know where uh you know with on the motorcycles with marvin like did you have all these movies coming out where they're just so he started he ties it all to comic books yeah and And the ec comic books on one side i don't want to give it to him but he has a point where you see some of the ec shit yeah you know there's covers with decapitated heads and stuff. I mean, there are graphic. People are getting killed. You know, the EC tales. So he says all these juvenile delinquents are reading comic books, but he yeah. didn't realize is all the other kids that are <laughs> that are not juvenile delinquents are also reading comic books, yeah. and they're fine. And there's also other in this. You know, there's movies, there's graphic movies, TV. You know, it's like so. But all, they, I mean, the comic book history is amazing. I mean, like. <sighs> I, we can't even go down like the fascinating history that is Wonder Woman and the way that Wonder was created. It <laughs> was a oh, guy that created, created the lie detector, with, like two wives, and yeah, he, he invented the <laughs> and lie detector, and, and, and then yeah, and then he invents this lasso of truth also, and that's a side job of him. So I mean, it's like there's just it's a fascinating behind the scenes of 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 comic book yeah. creation, but so I, I believe <laughs> some of the you know. Superman comes out of the 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 hearings and and the seduction of the innocent unscathed, but then I think we start getting these rules that Dion's indicating that like Superman doesn't kill anybody, you know, 
and and all those things he gets toned you know comic books start well, to get the, toned down because they introduce the comics code yeah comic books the comic book publishers they self-imply a code yeah, they're like so that we're not censored by the government we'll censor ourselves we'll create a committee and we'll censor ourselves and then that's how a, a lot of those really mainstay EC comics uh, I believe are forced out of business the you know Volt of Horror the, the, the Volt of Horror or, or the, those kind of like Tales from the Crypt-esque comics and then that's where Gaines goes in and invents Mad Magazine as, a, as an outlet but a, a lot of comics fall by the wayside and are killed because of the Wortham things going on so when you get into the 50s a lot of comics to survive because you can't have those type of stories they jar more towards fantasy and more towards you know Batman's yeah. traveling time traveling with a dog or you know he's yeah. going to different planets you know so you, you get a lot of that to get like the smiling Batman just like yeah. helping out neighborhood Fuck kids. It. <laughs> it's all I can do. Gotta, <laughs> motherfuckers gotta work. You know, it's like, yeah. so you get, you know, Robin, so you have Superman. There's a huge era here where Superman, I mean, sci-fi is huge too because of the 50s, we said, with monster movies and all that kind of stuff, invasions. So, you know, Superman has that trajectory into the 60s. And then into the 60s, you know, pop art becomes big in the mid-60s and you get, um, you know, the Batman, Batman 66. Yeah. yeah. But in 65, uh, Siegel and Schuster end up revisiting. Well, it's something the comment the copyright laws yeah, change somehow. There's a huge copyright act of 1909 that really helps everybody here about you know. So there is there are renewal rights, and then they were they were trying to get they 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 they, they attempted to regain the rights, and they went to court using the 1909 act to try to transfer the renewal rights from DC to them, and that was the 47 lawsuit. Okay. Right. No, that's the '65 lawsuit because Cause they. Because I, I heard the line that the the the, the they changed the copyright laws change again in the '60s. Yeah. Well, maybe it. Uh, I guess it and does. that's why they sue again. Yeah. But I could be mistaken. Well, maybe that's what they do. They it, it if it changes in the '60s, then they sue again in '65, and then they appeal the court, and uh, DC Comics fires Siegel again. Well, but because also he, fired a he 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 filed a second lawsuit. Yeah, but also it's an, what's another kick in the nuts. is that the judge says uh your taking of the settlement for superboy in in the 47 lawsuit the money that they won out of court yeah but you accepting that money was you closing the book on ever suing for the rights again this is the thing when you read through all this it's hard for me and and i don't want to sound like a dick and i'm sure no one will agree with me but it's like yeah they deserve all the rights like we're saying, but at the same time, it, you, the judge is like, yeah, you know, you, you've settled this already. You settled this again. You, so when they keep coming back and this happens later on, we'll go into like the 2001 letter. He's like, you've already indicated in writing that, you, you know, and it wins in their favor, luckily. But it's like you could see how it's argued against the courts where it's like, well, you know, you've already kind of. They signed a legally binding contract. Yeah, and you got like, paid. Yeah, and then, <laughs> you, and know, then you, you sued. And we basically, because what happens is a lot of times when you settle out of court part of that settlement of settling out of court is you're saying like Could okay be a i've, agree, I've yeah. agreed to this be the last this one is, of the <laughs> this is the compensation yeah this is it you know this happens with uh you know like when you go and you get surgery or plastic surgery you sign up you sign a thing that says like if you fuck my face up or i die yeah in the surgery it's not my, it's not like, your my, fault. my like i can't sue yeah you know, and then even if you do get a, like a plastic surgeon to give you money, then you sign a thing that's like, okay, we're, I've, 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 I've given yeah. you the money. 
you're now you're saying that like by you need to sign this that says like you're not gonna like slander me on thing. There's like all the legalities, but once money is exchanged, that's the end. Of part it. of it is like you're saying like I've accepted the compensation that the law that that the court has said I deserve. And if you maybe and, break this document, you may have to be. Uh, on the line to pay the money back or it, it messes up that ruling we're talking about so you may be on the hook to have to give the money back if you start arbitrating again or something you're then uh cancelizing or, or null null voiding that contract yeah. or whatever the settlement was you know and the other you know sad irony is that this is a guy who created the truth justice in the american way the iconic superhero of justice and unfortunately are you know whoever's point of view but in his mind Siegel's mind sure the justice is, is, no, is not sir it's not he's not being well because it's hard because you're getting lump sums yeah, I mean, it's hard to say like look yeah look at the trillions of dollars Who comparatively knows? yeah and you know and like we said it's you're breaking new ground so every decade that goes on tv is 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 makes its way in the 50s and then into the 60s you know, again, comics have a resurgence with, you know, Batman 66 and everything going on there. So it's like into the 70s, again, comic books make a big resurgence. So it's, you don't realize how of a mainstay this character is going to be and how much money DC is still making here. So when you hit the 70s, this is, I think, what you were talking about with Neil Adams. There's in yeah. around 75, there's another resurgence for people, better treatment for for comic creators uh there the, might have been a union at that point which neil adams might have been i couldn't i didn't find any information but i remember from older research or yeah things that there might have been a union and neil adams was part of it and that's how it got started so they want but, but superman continues you know we get a we get an adventures the new adventures of superman cartoon from 66 to 70 which is I, i've no you know it's hard because i don't remember a lot of, i remember the spider-man yeah 60s cartoon and the fantastic four cartoon sure. being around a lot but i don't remember offhand a lot of seeing that Superman. I don't remember it either, you know, to be honest with and you. And it's it's surprising. I remember when you the seventies. You yeah. know, you get super friends. Sure. And there was a Batman kind of cartoon in the seventies. Yeah. Uh, I remember that. You get there's a there's a musical nineteen sixty six, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman was yeah. uh, was a musical. Uh Super Friends from seventy three to eighty five runs a long fucking time. That's the cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh there's a t television special of the musical in nineteen seventy five with I think was on ABC. With what's her name in it too? With uh Leslie Ann Warren. Yes, from Clue and and, and she also who we, who we gush over. Yeah, we love her. Yeah, we love her. Her uh, and uh Colleen Camp. So Superman has been in the Zeitgeist since nineteen thirty eight. And then also there's always been some outside first of all, it's the comic book has been consistently running. And I think he's the only person that you can uh, give that to, that he has been constant from number one in 1938 of Action to today. Comics to today. <laughs> he has still been in publication. Uh, and he just, you know, beats Batman because Batman came out the le year later. And I think Dick Tracy was only in, you know, comic strip form. And you have imitators come out. You have Captain Marvel comes out by another... Um, Shazam. Yeah, by another... What do you call it? By another entity. And it's funny because um, a company called... Uh, what is it? Fawcett Comics comes out in 39. They start publishing Captain Marvel, which is basically a wannabe of, Captain, uh, of Superman. Yeah. And then they uh, DC Comics f sues them... Uh, Fawcett Comics, and then there's like seven years of discovery, which I guess you know that's like how you can delay proceedings. And finally, in '48, they go to trial, and it's funny because 
DC sues them for, for saying, you know, this is too much. This is basically Superman. So what ends up happening is Judge rules that, yes, the other comic book, uh, Fawcett has indeed uh, infringed on Superman. However, he ru- the judge rules that the copyright notices that appeared uh, with the Superman strips did not meet the technical standards of the 1909 Copyright Act that we were talking about. So therefore, it's invalid. And that, and then furthermore, he says the the newspaper strips that carried stories that adapted to action comics, they said DC effectively abandoned the copyright to the action comic stories. So they he rules that DC basically DC effectively abandoned their copyright to Superman and therefore forfeited it and this other copyright this other comic book company can't instead do this. So the other copyright com- the other comic book company wins the lawsuit. DC appeals and then the the appeals court says okay, we were wrong. There were unintentional mistakes, that's all right. They did not invalidate their copyrights. So then Fawcett is on the hook to pay them all this shitloads of money and then eventually DC ends up they set a lot of court and then DC ends up buying the comic uh they agree to stop pub- pub- publishing Captain Marvel and then the Captain Marvel gets acquired by DC and then it turns into uh, in 72 Shazam like you said yeah well because at that point I think Marvel has a Captain Marvel is, has a Captain Marvel so then Captain Marvel is now the original Captain Marvel is now owned by DC but they don't want to yeah get confused with Marvel Comics so then they just start calling the comic book Shazam so I'm and sure it was last year or two years ago the movie a movie Shazam yeah which I still haven't seen yet but I'm sure if this all if this trial began at 48 and then the judge rules about them abandoning their copyright I wonder if that coincides with the with the lawsuit in 48 well, that was 47 you know, for, okay yeah so maybe so they're like got, you know that maybe with the <laughs> ah, they just waited a year <laughs> <laughs> so in 75 they, they um, you know they, there's this big push to like you know get better compensation for these artists and, 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 and better treatment for them so Warner Brothers at this time, I guess, who now maybe owns DC or is in, in is in the is in the money here for some of it. They agree to give uh, Siegel and Schuster a yearly stimpin. You well, know, we're going to pay you. We're going to give you full medical benefits, and we're going to give you you know credit their names on all the Superman productions. Well, in a nutshell, if I they mean, don't contest ever again, yeah, yeah, that Superman you know is not theirs. In a show, and it must be. I don't know if it's seventy five because what happens allegedly is that, uh, and in a nutshell, because you know this is a huge story, and you could do a whole episode on this itself. But I think it's that Siegel sees that they're going to make the movie. Oh, okay. And he sees that Mario Puzo got paid like $300,000 to write Superman. Yeah, of of the Godfather fame. And he's like, what the fuck? Motherfucker. (laughs) Motherfucker. So he starts, like, it's the last straw for him. So maybe that's why in 75, he maybe goes to the comic book uh, union. He starts penning letters to every newspaper saying, like, this week, you know, me and Joe created Superman and we're getting screwed. And this movie's coming out. This fucking guy, Mario Puzo. He's like, honey, get on the phone. (laughs) He's getting paid. So he starts sending all these letters. And nobody. Yeah. Runs with the story. Runs with the story, but he's like he's penning letters to everybody. So maybe that's why Mar- somehow Warner's Neil- involved. And then Neil Adams gets one of these letters, or somehow comes across one of these letters, and he rem- you know, like he remembers the story because it's like you know, legendary. Yeah. In the comic book industry, he's a, he's an artist, and him and Denny O'Neill kind of reinvented Batman in the seventies, and uh, yeah, and that was something that Batman really needed. 
uh, because of what had happened with the 66 series and and that's ground we can go listen to our Batman podcast but that's groundbreaking yeah. in the 70s they take him a little bit darker yeah, and a lot of social issues too come up in the 70s in comic books yeah and Superman as well Superman becomes the a lot of more psychological stuff because they've already taken him to and that was you know, John Byrne in the 70s started pe- uh, drawing Superman and yeah. those comic books was like a big turn for Superman in the 70s until he left but uh, so Neil Adams gets a gets a hold of one of these letters and he he calls up uh, Jerry and as Siegel and he says look you got screwed but you know we can't do anything in the court but we can do anything we can do something in the court of public opinion and so he calls like the press and he sets up a, a news conference like a press conference so that they can tell their stories and Neil Adams basically champions them by doing like a media blitz sure and says like look these guys got screwed you know warner brothers is putting all this money into a movie these guys aren't seeing a penny of it these guys couldn't even afford to go see the musical in 66 fucking uh jerry siegel is working in a mail room like mr neil calm down (laughs) joe schuster is a delivery guy you know and yeah and you know, living on his on a cot in his brother's apartment, and these guys got screwed. And so he, and at the time, they're they're, they're what, what are they in their probably sixties? Yeah, in and, all the years. And so, after that, other you know news outlets started picking up the story. Yeah, as like this movie's coming out, and these fucking guys, you know, what are, the they're, fuck? They're, they're poor. And so basically, I think to shut. That's what Warner to shut it down, in. Warner's just like, look, okay, we'll give you some money. Yeah, yeah, we'll do this for the rest of your life. And, full benefits. And Siegel and Schuster are like, fine, let let's do it. And Neil Adams is like, no, put their name on the comic books. Yeah, give them the byline created by these any fucking future guys. Superman productions. So that probably transcends to movie. Yeah, comic print screen audio who and, knows and he's like and then he goes to Warner he says look you give this to these guys and you'll have like their blessing they'll be promoters of Superman like you you treat these guys right and it it'll you know like like you're treating Bob Kane over here yeah yeah and so they get they get invited to the premiere of the 78 movie yeah and then they see the credit created by Dun, 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 Jerry and yeah. Joe Schuster. And then, uh, just to finish this and avenue that, out. And that fight changes that, you know, that fight changes the way artists are treated. I wonder know? if that also, if we were to do a podcast on that in, in general, because that is around the time in the mid-70s when people start saying, hey, wait a minute, we've done all this TV, The Honeymooners, or whatever the hell, all these shows, and, you know, tw- Twilight Zone, we're not seeing a dime from any of this stuff. Yeah. So, I forget what it is, the first people who start getting royalties from or compensation from stuff yeah but um that happens in the late 70s into the 80s of people realizing what syndication is and what television and that stuff can run for the rest of eternity and then they're not going to get paid so um you get you fast forward to 1992 um schuster sadly passes away and his air dc comics offers his heirs uh, a, a yearly uh, you know, some dough in exchange that they never challenge the ownership of Superman, which they accept. And then 1996, Siegel dies, and uh, his heirs attempt to gain the rights uh, of Superman because they want to use 
this thing called the termination provision of the new copyright laws in the act of 1976. So DC Comics negotiates an agreement with them saying, look, we'll pay you $7 million, uh, several million dollars. We'll give you $500,000 a year in exchange for permanently granting DC <laughs> Comics has the rights to... Well, you to think that the, that was already settled with the 70, in the 70s. Yeah, so uh, they agree. They accept the offer. And then um, they also, DC offers to insert by special arrangement, uh, they agree to insert into any other thing that they do, Superman production saying, by special arrangement with the Jerry Siegel family. So the Siegels agree. And uh, there's a 2001, in October 2001, there is a letter that they send to DC accepting this. Yeah. So now... Then there's the last a, chapter of this. I think there's a whole book written about that, but if you want to hear an, an interesting story, and we talk a little bit about it in our Batman podcast, but I think Hulu has a documentary about Bill Finger, who just, as of around the time that we did the Batman podcast... Like, who's Bill Finger? Bill Finger was the artist that... Worked with Bob Kane. Worked with Bob Kane, and Bob Kane always had soul rights to Batman, but really... It was Bill Finger that did created a lot of the visual and the look with the, the cowl and, and all that the, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so um, he, I think, it's Superman v Batman v Superman was the first time Warner Brothers put, you know, created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. But uh, there's a documentary about the guy that lobbies for Bill Finger to get. That and I think that's on Hulu. If you okay. want to watch that, yeah. it's a, it's an interesting documentary. Sure. Well, about this getting, is all the same, but it's all it's a very similar story. Yeah, and I don't think Bill Finger ever even fought for it, but um, he got royally screwed by Bob Cates. <laughs> I wonder. I, I forget what year he passed through Finger because I wonder if this is all his heirs doing it. By that, yeah, point. it's a fascinating story that the guy wrote a book about it, and that's how he found out about it, and then he made it his personal crusade. But you need a relative to contest to contest it. Yeah. So then he goes on this huge. Like, like journey to find. Uh, to find an heir to Bill Finger. That's a movie right there. Because then you imagine, then the fight is: I don't want to contest it. You have to contest it. I don't want. Leave me alone. Shut the door. You know? it's, it's, that's really oh how it happened. How like he this finds, guy he finds somebody. And but anyway, go, go yeah. check it out. It's not worth going into here. But it's an interesting documentary, and it's it's all you know. It's a similar story about these poor older you know that that generation of comic book artists that. Unfortunately, just didn't get the credit or the or the compensation that they deserved. So you get in two thousand, I guess two or three, you get this copyright lawyer and movie producer who goes to both the families of Siegel and Schuster, and he says, "Listen, uh, I'll go and get the the Superman rights from the company, so you'll permanently own them from DC in exchange for." Uh, my company, Pacific Pictures, to be able to have the the rights to be able to use it in a in a movie or a property, and they agree. So uh, the heirs go and they in two thousand four, I think they sue DC for the rights of Superman and Superboy. But in two thousand eight, the judge rules in favor of the Seagulls. But then DC appeals the decision, and then the courts, the appeal court, rule in the favor of DC arguing that, hey, in 2001, you wrote a letter saying that you were all right with it. So uh, it ends up going until 2010. DC then sues in 2010 the family because they want their money for the, for the like, they don't have enough money. They want to go fight the family to get the, the, the compensation the, the, for the lawsuits. Yeah, for the costs. And then um, 
a an uh, a court rules in favor of DC on the grounds that in the 1992 agreement the Schuster's heirs uh, you know were all right with with you know terminating the you know whatever it was yeah so uh, as of now like we said before uh, Superman's coming up into the public domain in 2033 but. That only applies to how he's depicted in Action, Action Comics number one from 1938. You can uh, make arguments that like the shit that they made in the serials, like the Heat Vision, Kryptonite, uh, you know, all that Krypton, yeah, all that yeah. Krypton, you know, all that, you know, everything else that was introduced into 1949. Those copyrights don't go off for another couple of years. So it's interesting now. I guess it, it leaves it where there is maybe some sort of fight with DC still had not that the family doesn't have the rights yeah yeah so I don't know so uh, it's it's certainly the cliff notes of a very long and winding and I'm sure it's a very polarizing for people a uh, an idea of, of of you know who who's in the right here who's in the right you know but uh, Superman himself you know into the 70s uh, we have that what, what the very interesting the ro- the roasts Remember the DC oh, roasts? Yeah, yeah. We get those one hosted by Ed McMahon, where you have all the you know all the DC characters coming around and doing stuff. Uh, into the eighties, you have the uh, there's a TV. What's the TV show? Superboy. Well, I think that's uh, in the eighties. I think that's not till the nineties. Oh, is it the oh, 90s? You're right. It's eighty eight to ninety two, and that's by that's produced by uh, Ilya Salkind, who was one of the executive producers of the movie. And that's something that's completely went by me. I don't I think know. I've ever you seen it. Wa- I think you can watch it on the DC Universe app now. Yeah, I remember seeing it once. I was okay. like at my dad's house, and I stumbled on it. I believe it was probably a syndicated show. Um, because I guess in Albany, maybe we didn't have it because I didn't even know it existed. And yeah. I remember like stumbling on it, but like, what the hell is this? Um, that runs from 19, uh, 90, uh, 1988 to 1992. So that's a good minute. That's four years. Yeah. And then the next year you get Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman. With yeah. The beautiful Terry Hatcher. Yeah. AKA Penny Kane. Parker and the beautiful Dean Cain. Um, <laughs> The funny story quickly is that I've met Dean Kane a couple times at my day job. And one day, he did a show and I was done at the same time he was done. So I'm chatting. We walk out together and I go outside and I'm standing on the sidewalk having a 25 minute conversation with Dean Kane. And I'm like, whoa, this is pretty cool. Um, Tom uh, Daly, who does the, uh, he, I'm sorry, Tim Daly. Tim Daly, yeah. Tim Daly, who's the voice of Superman from, this, from the, the 90s. Yeah, the animated show from the 90s. He has a thing called The Daily Show. He is the sister brother of Ty Daly, and the father is uh, Daly, who's from the Willoughby episode of Twilight Zone. He's in a bunch of stuff. Uh, he had a sh- he has an internet show. I don't know if it's still going, called The Daily Show, D-A-L-Y. And they did an episode where it was all these different Superman people came on and did you know all the people they could that were still alive guest starred in this episode because Tim Daly's son was inaugurating his son into... He was going to voice Superman in one of those DC animated movies. Yeah, so there was a joke was they had everybody that was still alive. And Tim Daly was on Wings. Yes, Tim Daly was very... Uh, he's a big guy. He was in Wings and some other shows. He was and in stuff. a lot of shows. And yeah. He still works. So that I was talking. I always to, thought he should play Cyclops and the. Oh, I think that'd be great in X Men. The X Men. Yeah, that was back when we had Harvey Keitel as Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. came up with um, with people back in the nineties of who we wanted to play in an X Men movie. Also, we had I think Patrick Stewart as Xavier. We picked yeah, that one. Well, that was a, um, that's a given. Yeah, but we, we digress. But so I I just saw that episode of the Daily Show, that Daily Show, and I was talking to Dean Kane about it. So I ended up having a half hour. 
25 minute conversation and he's like one of the nicest guys in the world really down to earth really cool and i'm chatting with him and it's funny because as people are walking by they're recognizing him yeah you know like hey i'm going to the bruce springsteen because there's a bruce springsteen concert you want to come he's like no thank you you know he's, he's talking to everybody taking pictures i remember this guy walked by who was like a janitor or a custodian for the building that was like sweeping up the cigarette butts and he's like you know anybody ever tell you you look like that guy that hosted ripley's believe it or not he's like i am the guy who hosted that Ripley's. <laughs> like, oh i didn't realize that so uh it was just funny that i like got to talk to Superman you know, yeah. for, for a couple minutes and and uh, thankfully he was like one of the nicest guys ever um, but uh, the, that was huge when that show came out yeah I loved that show yeah uh, I was in love with Terry Hatcher who wasn't I loved her from Penny Parker from MacGyver and then when she went into that show you had um, was it Tony J he played uh, Lex Luthor's second in command I loved his voice because he voiced a oh, lot yeah, of the Disney yeah. villains you know uh, that show ran for what was that from 1993 to 1997 and that was big in our in our childhood because the 50s uh, TV show with George Reeves, you know, they went f- for, for a, you know, for more of a general audience, but they wanted to really push it for, for kids and they toned down the violence and the angle then for like Lois and Clark was that you concentrate more on the relationship, right? Between, yeah, between Clark and Lois. Yeah, yeah. which is kind of, and then what's his face who was in Dark Knight of the Scarecrow who played uh, Perry White. Yeah. You know, he's very he's also great. also my cousin Vinny. Yeah, you know. prosecuting attorney and my cousin Vinny. He's great, that actor who played. So you had a lot of different fun people in that, in that show for when that was on. Uh, and then the, the Batman the Animated Series from 96 to th- 2000, which was obviously kind of inspired by the success of Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. And then you get Smallville from 2001 to 2011. That's something I never watched, but I knew it was hugely yeah, popular with people. I never watched people. it either, but now that like, I'm you know I'm watching like 90210. Sure. Stuff, and I'm you're th- watching all those other DC shows. I'm thinking, I'm going thinking, back. I think I might jump on and finally watch Smallville. And, and you, that Christopher Reeve showed up in that, which yeah, is, I, I was crying when I saw the uh, the footage because we talked about post accident we did um, Rear Window earlier this year yeah. we talked about he did the TV movie version of Rear Window that they did some years later uh, and there was a whole bunch of other actors who I think guest starred on Smallville as well as the girl from Superman 3 right maybe the, the uh, well the, the yeah the, the, the she, she plays Lana in Superman 3 she's the she's Clark's mom yeah. with John Schneider as the dad yeah in Smallville and we just brought up Tom Wolpat <laughs> <laughs> it all comes around. It all comes around. So it, so he's been going and... <laughs> Non-stop. And, you know, still going. Uh, uh, anybody, uh, you know, we don't have enough time to go into all these different other corners, but people should definitely go read up about George Reeves because that's a very tragic, sad story about up to this day. There's still controversy in how he died. There's a movie made about it with Ben Affleck. Which is actually co- pretty good. What is that called? Hollywood Land? Is that that one? That might be called Hollywood Land. Because yeah. I get that one mixed up with the Black the Dahlia one. Diane Lane. Yeah, she's in that. But it's about. it's really sad. And that examines kind of that what, what went on with George Reeves where he got kind of pigeonholed and then he was trying to it's kind of the original not the original but it was very much typecasting and then he went and tried to do Here from Eternity with uh, Frank Sinatra and his Borgnine and Montgomery Cliff but then almost all of his stuff was cut out because they're like why you got fucking Superman exactly you got fucking Superman in a Hawaiian shirt get him out of there so and then the only thing he can get around you know is he does an I Love Lucy episode as Superman yeah. so it's like so people, you know, he they were coming back for a season five or six in 58 uh, for Superman, and he was excited about it. Then he finds up, they, f- they find out he, he dies. And yeah. first it was, 
you know, suicide. Uh, it was something to do with where he w- he was shot and he fell on the gun, but then he, there's no fingerprints, his fingerprints on the gun. But I remember growing up, there's this mythology of that he jumped out the window. Yeah, that I was that to- he thought he could fly. Yeah, exactly. There was oh, that's how when I grew up too. There was like this urban you know, legend that he thought he he thought he was he he thought he was Superman so much that he started doing things like that, and then he jumped out of a window with a cape. And I don't know how that got you know just. Uh, extended into the the urban legend yeah but um it's really sad but because mysterious circumstances involving his death and then you can you imagine just waking up and i was thinking this like we always talk about like the tragedy of jfk being assassinated and all these other public yeah. figures in this in the 60s well right before that i mean it, i don't know if it's silly to make a comparison but for children and young yeah. audiences that I, think you wake up superman's dead the guy you know the person who you never thought probably uh, adult audiences alike because you're still in that romanticism Eisenhower years where it's yeah. like my gosh you wake up and your your hero the guy who can't die has been who's, killed who's who's bulletproof yeah you know who you know is Superman who does all these PSAs and he's this very good guy he's you know that must have been kind of almost the first heartbreaking of that era of this tragedy of yeah. the 60s and stuff but anyway yeah so we get up to the 70s where you know there's some cartoons with him and all that kind of a thing and then Warner uh, grabs it and Warner's like let's do a freaking movie about yeah, well uh, the soul kind soul kind oh the father I- and son team I think yeah the, the son Ilya Ilya um, they're looking for a property they had some success doing uh, Three Musketeers and the Four Musketeers, yeah, okay. which they shot at the same time. This was—it's a rare thing that you know now ha- happens more often, probably with the Lord of the Rings and stuff. But you shoot two or three movies at the same time so that you can have them come out like back to back. Like Ze- Zemeckis did that with—I remember Back to the Future two and three back to back. Yeah, yeah. But and, they had uh, some success with these uh, three. Three Stooges, <laughs> <laughs> the, the Three Stooges, the Three Musketeers cartoons, the Three, Muske- three Musketeer movies, uh, uh, and directed by what's his face, isn't it? Too Richard, was it Richard Lester? Lester directed those. Yeah, and the Soul Kinds have been on Saturday Night Movie sleepovers in the past. Dun da 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 da. Because they also produced Santa Claus. The movie. Wow. The movie. The movie. And that's a big one over here for us. The <sighs> John Lithgow right. and, and the uh, table. Yeah, which, 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 it has been set. <laughs> Everyone, um, um, smoke them if you got them and go to go to the bathroom because um, we're going to now. My, how long? How, how into this are we now, Dion? We are now officially probably about an hour and 45 minutes into the podcast. Really? Yeah. Holy um, Smallies, holy apologize, poops. people. Uh, good night. <laughs> good night. See you soon. <laughs> hey, Dion, you know what Lex Luthor really needs? Uh, a new barber? <laughs> well, no, because he doesn't have any hair. I mean, I guess he needs a new system, a new hair system if he wants. He just wears those bad wigs. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm not sure they can do anything for him now, but what he should have done when he was younger was he should have checked out Keeps. What's Keeps? Well, Keeps, it's a website where you can go and you can get hair loss medications. So it's not, Keeps isn't the name of a medication, but it's where you can go to get the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there and generic versions. So even though you might have used these products before, if you're, you know, if you're worried about your hair, you probably haven't got them at this price. 
So it's not necessarily a, a hair loss medication. It's, it's just a, an easy and discreet way to go about getting hair loss products and treatments. Yeah, basically you go on the website, you answer like a five-minute questionnaire that's all multiple choice, and then you send some pictures of your hair, upload some pictures of your hair, and then a medical physician in your area takes a look, and they basically come up with a hair loss treatment for you. And I guess if you have questions, you can ask because, you know, just because they come up with a a treatment for you, you don't have to do it, obviously. So that's a good point. So you're saying that, like, it's almost like a consultation. So they'll prescribe me a treatment, and if I decide to use it, it it keeps will send me treatments right to my door every three months. So if I want to keep my my fair... uh, my fading hairline on the DL keeps us a way to do that. Not yeah, a lot say of people you don't know. want to go to the doctor. Yeah, because you don't, don't want to go out to the doctor and discuss this with somebody. In sure, person. this is a way you go on the website, you fill out that questionnaire, you send some pictures, you get a prescription for a uh, treatment, and then Keeps will send you every three months. I guess one of these FDA approved products, and it is one of the only two FDA approved products out there. Plus, Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA approved hair loss products out there. Plus, you should note these products are not to grow hair but to hopefully stop the hair loss. <laughs> the hair loss. Yeah, so it stops it right where it is and tries so you won't lose any more. <laughs> and as, like, as they like to know, which is kind of funny, is it's only for the hair on top of your head. So that They know <laughs> specifically it's only for the hair up top. So, so I it don't, can, it, it can help me with my beard. They, apparently it's not going to help you with your beard. So. Yeah, because you know my beard's a little spotty. And it's definitely uh, a product geared towards men. Of course. So uh, if, I mean, I'm getting to the age now where I'm starting to see thinning up top, so this is something I think I would definitely be interested in. And luckily, I guess, for our sleepover movie lover listeners um, if you're losing your hair and you want to do something about it check out keeps you will receive one month's treatment for free by going to keeps.com sat that's keeps.com sat just, for your first month free yeah just go to k-e-e-p-s.com sat keeps hair today hair tomorrow Ooh. Yeah, I don't know, you know, that's this is just setting up the first movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we lost the reel of the first movie. So we came back and had to turn this into Superman 2. Um, so the first movie, this is you grab Mario Puzo, who's coming off the Godfather thing. I think fame. he just ends up getting like story by credit, mm. if I'm not mistaken. Because you got Makowitz comes in. But clearly he writes a draft. Yeah. Um, then there's these Newman. Yeah, this is for, they come on for Superman 2. So they do Superman 1, you know, we can't really get too much into Superman 1, but it is groundbreaking. You know, that's another show. Yeah, that's Richard Donner. I mean, we'll we'll just just edit this right in. (laughs) It's the international TV cut. We'll take the hour and 40 minutes that we did for Superman 2 and and we'll just lump it on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But, you know, I guess to briefly touch upon. I mean, this is something where we talk about all the time about Batman being a, the, the, a huge influence on comic book movies. I mean, kind of Superman, the original '78 movies. Batman wouldn't. In, Batman movie may not have existed if it wasn't yeah. for Superman the movie. And if I remember correctly, I think it's Batman and, and as well as Dick Tracy. Aren't they in development for like yeah. eight or ten I mean, years because yeah, I mean, of Superman? Yeah, Batman. Uh, according to our episode 
our first anniversary episode, Batman's in production from like the early, from like 79 or 80. Yeah. For like 10 years. And I think the crazy Because, because of the success of, ba- of yeah, Superman. Yeah, because they they're looking for other things to, to, to come out with. And then you get Flash Gordon, and that kind of, I think, bombs. But I'm trying yeah. to think of what other movies that are big or right around there. Yeah, well, I, mean, I mean, Swamp you, Thing. You know, obviously, Flash Gordon's probably a byproduct Tarzan. of the... Uh, byproduct of the success of Star Wars is yeah. probably why we get a Flash Gordon movie by Dino De Laurentiis, I think, produces that. Yeah, sounds about right. And uh, But you get like, you get Tarzan, Legend of Greystoke. Yeah, that's in the early 80s. Yeah. Uh, and you have other kind of movies that are that are peppered in of, uh, of the time that are uh, comic book-y, but it's still kind of an un- unfounded ground because... Well, you got, you got the, you know, Hulk TV show. You yeah. got a Wonder Woman TV. television yeah. show. Yeah, sure. Seems to be a super, superheroes because of bat, probably partially due to the success of the '66 Batman television show, yeah. which only lasted for a but couple of years. You look at the they're they're parroting the '66 show, and there's a big fear uh, even when you get to the Batman 20 years later of it's going to be the same thing. But I guess there is a decision on TV where you know Wonder Woman's half. In both wet realms, where she's semi-serious, but there is—I mean, I guess it's—it's it's not any. No one's trying to parody anything anymore. But certainly, uh, the Hulk—that's a straight show. Yeah. You, you know, get, like it's obviously not based on a comic book property at the time, but you get like the Six Million Dollar Man and the Bionic Woman, yeah, which are huge, which are you know superhero type stories yeah. that are going on. Uh, you get Wonder Woman, you get Spider Man for a minute, you get uh, you know some other stuff, but which you know, is such a, you know, I didn't really think about it, but. You know, this is all before the Superman movie because you get the Spider-Man TV show, which we covered. Well, what year is that? On. That's like seventy-seven. Okay, so maybe so it's in anticipation of yeah, the movie of you know, Superman. The yeah, movie's probably uh, announced at that point. Yeah, they're like, "What do we have that we can, you know, quickly put on TV?" But and mo- that's also due to the, some of the success of the Hulk television show. And you're but right. Then, what yeah, there's seventy-seven like, too? There's like a do- there's like a Doctor Strange television yeah. movie. A couple of. Uh, Captain America these, television movies. These two uh, roasts that we're talking about, which I'm sure will surprise our audiences one day and throw which up as an extra. Which are available on the DC Universe app. Yeah. Which not are sponsors of the hilarious. show. But, yeah. But a lot of what we're talking about, you can find information about uh, yeah, the all DC the, Universe on there. So when Superman comes out, I mean, you know, Star Wars comes out in 77 and then Superman comes out in 78 and it's like huge. Yeah. I and mean, you get Star Trek The Motion Picture in 79? Yeah. And then this is 1980-81 is Superman 2. So when Superman comes out, it's it's huge. Christopher Reeves is a relatively unknown, I guess. Gene Hackman's established. Uh, Marlon Brando certainly is established. He's coming Glenn off Ford's of... He's established. Com- Marlon Brando's coming off of like an Oscar for Godfather. Yeah. You know, in the 70s. And he's a big uh, social activist with Native American stuff we talk about where he didn't want to, I think, accept the Oscar. He sent Native Americans to s- accept the Oscar at the time. And he's starting to cherry pick. He's starting to get a little uh, eccentric and cherry picking roles a, and a stuff. A year later, we get Apocalypse Now. And you remember if you see Hearts of Darkness, that documentary on, not the book, but the documentary on uh, uh, Coppola, yeah, making Apocalypse Now, how hard it was, you know, uh, Brando for a minute was going to take his money and walk away, you know, it seems like, you know, you got to remember Brando's been on the scene since the early 50s, and since he's been able to do everything himself, by the time 60s get there, he's calling his own shots, and so the 70s, you know, he's very opinionated on what he wants to do and what he wants to be involved in and this or that. So, you know, to think like the Godfather himself, you're going to get him to be in this movie or in Apocalypse Now, it's like he's kind of calling the shots. And that kind of, I think, gets us kind of where 
some of the stuff starts happening for Superman 2, right? So you have Superman 1, Donner comes on. Donner Who's coming off a of success with the Allman. With the Allman, yeah, that's huge. And, and Donner, Donner's a fascinating guy. He got started in television, exactly. TV Move Studio One or whatever. He's he's probably doing like episodes of Combat. And he's of course, along. he's been on the show because he directed Goonies. Yeah, and he's probably. And I think he did a Lethal Weapon. He did the Lethal Weapon movies, correct? And we did so Lethal so, Weapon. So Donner's been on a, a repeat show offender, a of times. <laughs> you know. And he's coming out of the TV with like John Frankenheimer, those guys of the era that are doing TV, TV movies, TV episodes. So. Donner gets, he starts shooting Superman, and then he starts shooting Superman 2 at the same time. The idea is that they're going to do what they did with the Musketeer movies, the Salkinds, which is we'll shoot them both at the same time. And I guess the thought is that ultimately we'll save time and money. See now. If they can use the same sets at the same time, they don't got to rebuild stuff. And it's, it's a smart, it's kind of very canon, which is funny because then further down the road, this does go into canon Quest realm. for peace becomes yeah. um, canon film. But the Salkinds, to me, I hear are kind of dodgy dealers or kind of sketchy guys where they you don't do, know they do seem that way you don't you yeah <laughs> you don't know if it's mob money or it's you know or where they're getting their their finances from but the story is that like the son Ilya's walking by a theater one day and he sees like a poster for maybe a, a, a Zorro movie and he's like we need to come up with a care there, so there was probably a Zorro movie there was maybe there a guy was, Hamilton not guy Hamilton George Hamilton George Hamilton that might have been just before that you so. know the gay blade of Zorro maybe yeah, it's yeah. called or something so they had just had fame with the Three Musketeer movies and they're like we need to get another property and then for some reason they think about it they go the son takes the father to dinner or lunch and he's like hey we should try to grab Superman make a, a real serious movie at Superman so that's where this comes out of and it seems that like there is a friction when you get on set because they're you know up Donner's butt about like you know what are you shooting today what's going on you know it's like very like you know where's the money going how is Brando on set what do you you know they're trying to be really hands on yeah and but also they're also dealing with special effects that have never been done before <laughs> it's back to like the old uh, eastbound and down we're gonna do what they say can't be done <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like uh yeah, I remember one of a one of the big pitches for Superman in uh, promotion when it was coming out was like, "You will believe a man can fly" or yeah, something to that yeah. effect. Oh, and that's even what they say now. Christopher Lee, Christopher Reeves, Christopher Lee, Christopher Reeves. <laughs> that's a whole, that's <laughs> that's a whole other <laughs> Superman movie. Awesome in its own right. It's a hammer. The, the hammer movie they never got to see. Christo- Christopher Lee is Superman. <laughs> Peter Cushing is Zod. <laughs> yeah. And then who's the dad? We'll have to think about that. Maybe Vincent, I don't know. Um, but uh, th- that was the, you know, he he sh- he made you believe a man can fly or Christopher Reeves. Yeah, I mean, it's, when you even when you watch it today, it's, it's some of it is really gorgeous, the oh, flying stuff. Yeah. I mean, you can see some optical printing stuff. You know, there's the it gets a little grainy yeah. for some of the stuff. But uh, but there's a whole look, and that's what, you know, when, I, when we went back, and I had, I ended up watching. We ended up watching both cuts, so we'd be fresh in our minds: the Donner yeah. cut and the theatrical cut. So it was a lot of movie watching. That's why at the beginning of this we were sleeping. And I, I went. I didn't watch all of before I came over. Yeah, I didn't watch all of Superman one, but I wanted to see how it began and I wanted to see how it ended. Yeah, because I hadn't seen the original Superman the sure. movie forever. Because I, I wanted haven't to see, either. I wanted to see like, well, how does it end? Full because disclosure, I need to know. I wanted to do the same thing. I just wasn't able to. The wife shot that down. Just like, we ain't doing that. What the fuck? <laughs> Jesus Christ! You got all the you got my book that way. <laughs> it was a honey. So, so uh, I, I, I just I watched the beginning, the, the bookends of the, the first movie, yeah, just I, to get me up. To and speed. that's what I'm unfamiliar with. At the ending of the first movie, because they shot him sequentially, you do have the three villains, right? You do have Zod, 
Well, you get it in the beginning. You get it in the beginning. It opens because the movie opens with uh, the first Su- Superman. The movie, yeah, seventy-eight movie opens with uh, Kal-el played by Brando. Yeah, like excommunicating Zod and his people. The trial, like you, it opens with the trial, and you get that beautiful when he's walking away, and he's got that when he's the only time you see Zod screaming. I love that. And Terrence they get banished to the Phantom Zone. Yeah, and then the next scene is. Right away, you get Kal-El, the the committee of elders, whatever the chair, the chairman, yeah. <laughs> at the board, <laughs> being like, you know what, uh, we hear you about the destruction of the planet, but <laughs> We're not feeling it. You know, it's watch honestly, like you global know, warming, fake news. <laughs> we, yeah, like we don't get in. You know, we're not going to get. Into, I'm not, I don't want. I don't want to get into a political discussion. But it was kind of shocking watching Superman, the pieces of Superman, the movie that I watched for this, and I'm like, man, how how fucking relevant is this? You know, he's he's you know, yeah, Kal-El telling the government, being like, the planet's it's, it's, it's in danger, it's, it's in destruction. Oh, I, and they're like, you know what, that, that's okay. And so then he builds. You know, you, you all know like the he, origin bl- story, he builds. The time travel, and he sends Doctor Sam Beckett back in time. <laughs> yeah, he builds the quantum, the, the quantum leap, and he, you know. But uh, I find it's funny because one of the other things, aside from you talk about how uh, doing this this great journey of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, we get to revisit and see the evolution of the movie from from practical effects, special effects, the computer generated effects. Sure, yeah. I see. Also, from my standpoint, it's like how much stuff is still relevant you know you go back and watch tv shows from the 60s 70s and they're just as relevant today yeah. you know the themes and it's like you know all these cyclical even the westerns of the 50s are dealing with stuff of today it's so it's amazing these story ideas. stories man yeah it's it's amazing how you know you, you update them and how present little a little differently change. yeah exactly <laughs> you know everything you know everything goes in waves and you know the pendulum swings both ways or whatever but it's just these stories we have early bird catches the worm <laughs> yeah you know you can feed <laughs> two birds you break your mother's back yeah you can you can you can uh, you can kill two birds with one stone <laughs> or you can feed two birds with one scone it's amazing so uh, that's Superman one so shit blows up he puts him in the rocket sends him off yeah uh, we talked about how in the comic books that was you know there was a little different there of what was going on and then uh we he gets dropped off to glenn ford there's the whole epic story for me growing up uh not that it was slower for me but i always felt superman one like that wasn't so much in my movie because i think i would and for me honestly yeah it's it weird. was in, i think it, you know superman three and two were on all the time yeah so i knew superman one and i loved elements of superman one especially I, I was always fascinated with the Brando stuff as well as at the end and like the horrifying when like you know Lois dies yeah, and yeah. his breakdown and then he has to but I don't realize until doing heavily research for the Donner cut where they didn't know how they were going to end it so they're like they were going to actually have the world turn back for Superman 2 but they're like fuck it we'll take it put it yeah. at the end of Superman 1 and we'll figure out by the time at the end of Superman 2 what to do yeah you know yeah. so it's um yeah I love that I thought like I know that people will argue the back in time stuff for the for the lowest lane at the end of Superman uh the motion picture. the motion picture is like that's ridiculous but it's the comic book world as a kid it's something that I connected with. I don't know. Like, I feel like even as a kid, I was a romantic. Sure. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> you, know? you know, like I was, like, obviously I didn't really, I wasn't, I didn't know what love really love was at past, like love for my parents and my grand and like family. But uh, I, I think as a kid, I always was like, I was, I, I knew 
the the, the uh, from a past life like i knew the like the the weight yeah. the gravitas of, of romance and love and i always thought that that was really powerful even as a kid yeah um I, and i think it is i mean it's it you you i think that movie's uh, you know a masterpiece in setting up that you know him being that kind of a way where he's you know he is this great power with the responsibility and then he's able to wrong this epic you know thing but you know. not just that but like it's the death of the woman he loves yeah that makes him do it yeah is you know what's what's powerful about that ending. I, i'm with you like i want to say as a kid like i did think the first one was kind of boring i mean there's yeah. a lot of setup I I didn't watch the whole thing now. I'm kind of curious to now go back and watch the motion well, picture because like, I think now as an adult, yeah, it was almost like Superman. The motion picture was made for adults more than kids. Yeah, and that it's pacing. It's, there's a lot of exposition. You know, he was Donner was going for like, and I think the Salkinds were too for like this epic, like sure. David Lean, yeah, version of Superman. And I find like for me, it wasn't necessarily boring as much as like you see it a couple times you're with it but then you know these other ones that are more a little action oriented just jump right in yeah especially you know with superman 2 with with the climax the big battle or superman 3 with the comedy of richard Pryor. it's like i was going towards that more because i had the basis of seeing the first one i just feel like he doesn't become superman as a kid i don't know what the what the timing is i don't know what the clock is in reality. Yeah. But as a kid, it felt like it just took like an hour for him to become Superman. Yeah. And as a kid, you're just like, yeah, I don't care about him as a teenager running alongside. I mean, it's cool the first time you see it, maybe as a kid. it's. I think it's because I guess it's Pave and all that. You but know. as a kid, you're just like, get the fuck like, Superman. <laughs> I want to see him fuck some shit up. <laughs> I should also uh, mention that we we I, I bring up Randy Jurgensen as much as I can, and he's in Superman 1. He's one of the two cops that are trailing Ned Beatty through Grand Central, and then he's not the one that's killed, but one of the cops is killed because they lose him. And then, like, the train comes in and kills one of the cops. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Randy Jurgensen has a nice little cameo there in, in Superman. But then, you know, so they're filming all of Superman 1. They start to fall behind schedule. Yeah, they're filming all of Superman 2 at the same time. They got about 75% done of Superman 2, but they're falling behind schedule with Superman 1. And so over budget. And over budget. And um, they decide, let's put Superman 2 on hold, stop yeah. filming, we need to finish one first. Yeah, let's just fo- let's focus our efforts, get one yeah, in the you're, can. You're making the dessert, and we haven't even set the, you know, <laughs> and put the put the Seemed like a good idea out. at the time, but, but now we got, you know, you know, by that point, you probably have uh, dates for it to sure. be delivered, for and screenings, uh, and, and if, if they are dates. And if they are dodgy dealers, those guys, I'm sure they're probably like... Um, you know the the soul cans. Not saying that they are, but they're probably like you know we you know we got money coming from shadowy investors. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know we need to yeah we need to make sure Allegedly. this is yeah, Allegedly. exactly We're, we 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 kid we kid we kid. But they always seem to me like that. You know I don't know that it wasn't completely so. You know they were like finish Superman one before you get Superman two out. And Donner does, and they they end up putting out one, and then at the time I guess. Brando starts saying like you know all his stuff has been shot already for Superman 2 yeah and he starts saying well you know what you owe me money yeah and it's funny because if you listen to Lester who directed the two um, Musketeer movies they evidently owe him money too so there's a communication breakdown Led Zeppelin of 
uh, between Donner and the the Sulcans. There's so, tension between Donner and the Sulcans. So they hire initially Lester to come in because they know Lester to try to be the maybe I don't know what his official title title is. I think uh, he was an associate producer, but also was like a mediator kind of to be the go between because Donner doesn't want to talk to the Sulcans and the other producer uh, Pierre. Sp- uh, Spangler, Egon Spangler. <laughs> yeah, Egon Spangler, who's developing <laughs> these new kind of crazy waves about doing things. But so Lester, see, Rest, Lester originally comes in just to be like the go-between, and then he also becomes an assistant director. So you think of how much, um, you know, stress Donner must be under. Donner's got two movies not, that are not done. He's trying to cut the first movie, and you have the producers, you know, the European producers on his butt, like, you know, what's going on, what's going on? So he's like, you're stressing me out, you're stressing me out, get the hell away. So you could see they hire this. So by the time you get to Brando, Brando is like, I want, you guys still owe me money. They owed him like Vig or yeah. something. They owed him something for Superman 1 that he Part hadn't get the deal for. was he got percentage of the gross or whatever, and but they say that he sued them like like two days after. Like I don't know. Well, that's why. See, this is what. Then you learn what uh, Coppola loses his mind in the Philippines shooting Apocalypse Now, which you see in this Heart of Darkness documentary, because Brando starts pulling some shit there. And I'm not saying the shit he's pulling isn't unwarranted, but he starts saying, you know, they're going to pay him a million dollars for like a week of work, and he's like, I- I'm going to keep the money and I'm not going to come down. And I remember there's a real famous scene where. Coppola's like, well, I'll get, I'll get De Niro, I'll get Pacino, I'll get Eastwood, I'll get. He goes, you know, I'll get Steve McQueen, I'll get anybody. We just need to finish this movie. So Brando at that time was being funny with people. Yeah. So I don't know if he started pulling shit here, but he ends up seeing he he starts saying like, um, you know, he starts almost issuing a restraining order, saying that he wants he wants fifty million, claiming they never he never received a percentage of the film's gross, and he files a restraining order. To preventing them to use his likeness in the next movie. Yeah, but but it's crazy because like the films, they don't have the gross yet. That's what I don't understand. Like it's like the movie it's, it's still in theaters. Yeah, this is he does this in in um, I guess around in December of seventy eight is when Brando starts doing this. So then the the producers the um but apparently his, apparently that restraining order gets thrown out yeah the the the, the they settle out of court with Brando uh, they give him like fifteen million and that gets thrown out but the Alexander the father and Ilya say you know what we don't want to deal with him anymore yeah so fuck him fuck it so let's not even include the scenes he already shot in Superman two we'll get Susanna York to come in and the you know mom. the mom we had the father in the first one. Hell, we'll have the mother in the second one, and she'll kind of redo it's all also his the lines. the second one, you know, the inter- for the most part, the interactions with Clark are more of a romantic nature. Clark. <laughs> Sorry, I'm thinking of watch, watch Clark. Clark. Hey, I want to come in now. Um, and so they figure, you know, it'll work if he's talking about his mom. He's talking to his mom about romance. Sure, exactly. Uh, so... So they don't want to deal with Brando, so they they're make like, the you know, even though it's shot... Yeah. They don't want to give him more money. They're like, fuck him. Put him in the bathroom. I don't want Donna looking at his face. Put him in the bathroom. <laughs> but then Donna's like, yo, I'm the director. You know, f, f- that shit. I want, yeah. you can't be telling me what I want to do. You know, I'm, you know, I'm calling the shots. So they're like, oh yeah, Mr. Richard Donner. So secretly they go to a guy, Hamilton, who directed a couple Bonds. Bonds, yeah. And who has been on our podcast before because he did Remo Williams. He directed mm-hmm. that. 
and they try to say, hey, you want to maybe do Superman 2? We got a little left to finish. You want to? And I think he was doing maybe a movie called Cuba, if that's the movie he was shooting at the that time. That might have been Lester. Oh, maybe that was Lester. Okay. But he was, uh, but Guy Hamilton was also not uh, he available. Was, yeah, he was, he, Lester, you're right. Lester's filming Cuba, and Guy Hamilton's doing something else. So. But it's funny because, not funny, but it's interesting because, you know, there's always like, uh, Donner's fired. It's a controversy. Like he, but also like when you read it, it's like Donner's not. He seems difficult. I mean, not difficult, but he's like, you know, I'll I'll only do it if I have complete creative control. Yeah, and I'll only do it if the the Pierre Spangler, the producer of the movie, isn't doesn't isn't on the second movie. And like he's got demands. Yeah. So I mean, I don't think it's it doesn't in hindsight it doesn't seem that. Like outrageous that they're for the cell kinds to be like okay well we'll find then fuck it maybe they could have handled it better they have a lot of money tied up in this they they just went through this they got the first one come out being a success but then they got Brando pulling all this shit with them they had to pay out of pocket to settle that and then this other Donner thing they want to nip it in the butt even though he has seventy five percent of the movie already shot. And they bring in Lester, like you were kind of implying <laughs> earlier. Like they owe Lester money, so they say to Lester, "Like we'll give you your money that only we, if you <laughs> that we owe you <laughs> <laughs> if you come in." And he ends up being being second unit director on the first movie, and like we said, associate producer and kind of a mediator yeah. between the two of them. Um, so yeah, I mean, it becomes like this weird. I can understand why someone like uh, Donner who has a pretty prestigious career at that point and is a very talented director and everything, having a lot of uh, ill feelings about the whole situation, having a a movie that he supposedly, you know, shot 75% of taken away from him and and given to someone else. But, I mean, I don't know. It's a business. There's there's two sides to every story, I guess. But what's interesting is that... uh, I, I also hear that Les, because Lester wants sole credit as director, there's conflicting stories that he ends up reshooting a lot of what, well, what Donner shot because, because he has to shoot at least 40% of the movie the to problem. get credit. Yeah, to, to, for, for whatever, I think it's because of the guild guidelines that for he needs to shoot 40% to be able to get the credit. It's like the screenwriter stuff. So yeah. he has to go back and shoot some stuff that have already been shot that doesn't really... It's not, they're not changing anything. It's just he needs this shit to shoot to get under his belt to make, meet that minimum. So it's interesting then going back, and as we did it, we watched the two movies back to back Superman 2, the theatrical cut, and then the Donner cut to see the differences where, like, uh, you know, I didn't realize that the whole, le- the whole beginning in Paris, Gay Paris, is a complete. Uh, new beginning that Lester puts on, yeah. As well as the ending with the with the very controversial uh, amnesia kiss. Mm-hmm. You know, he bookends it differently, and then he shoots other things for it. But and then it's a really, I mean, that's not something I would have noticed as a kid. But watching it now, even before you watch the Donner cut, you do see like there's the continuity of. Mostly Margot Kidder, the way she looks. She's yeah. apparently wearing. She looks like she's wearing a wig through most of see, the I, second movie. When I was lo- watching it. Um, I, you know, we watched the theatrical cut first because I was like, Blake, let's watch the thing. And you're like, no, no, no. But then we watched the Donner cut. So when I was haven't seen the theatrical cut in 30 years or more, I just thought it was every time we'd go to her close-ups, they were just using soft focus, Vaseline, 
pantyhose over the yeah. lens. Just you know, it seems like they were just doing that to just you know take away some of those wrinkles well, or whatever. Well, she looks noticeably thinner to me in the in the Lester footage, the Niagara Falls stuff. Yeah, and, and and I don't know if she's wearing a wig or just a different hair, but she looks like to me like she's wearing a wig through yeah. most of it. So maybe by the time they went back to reshoots, because that's the thing is they. They thought most of that movie was shot, and then it got they, put they, on hold. Yeah, they stopped for like a year and a half. Reeves goes, and he, he signs on to do Somewhere in Time, which is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, Richard Matheson, yeah. And so like they didn't realize that they were going to have to go back and reshoot all of this movie. And then the, the Sulkins file suit on in March 79, the year and month of my birth, they file suit against Christopher Reeve, saying he's in breach of his contract because he... he said he was going to finish Superman 2. Yeah, but he's like, well, I can't because I think it's something like... Um, you know he's he's working on somewhere in time and that ends like on you know well, I don't know Monday and they want him on set the following Friday for for Superman two and he's like you know he he's lost kind of the physique I think you know the bulk up or he has to refresh himself plus they're asking this you know pretty exuberant he's having to go back and stuff shoot stuff that's already been shot and then there's a there's two different camps of people get mad that since Donner so Donner goes and Donner is on the European promotional tour campaign for Superman. And while he's touring promoting the movie, that's when supposedly the soul cans go behind his back, ask Guy Hamilton, they hire Richard Lester to direct, and then they evidently fire him on uh, March 15th, 1979, and they replace him with Richard Lester. So Donner's like, I got up one day, I got a telegram, and it says, like, you know, my services were no longer needed and that my dear friend Richard Lester will be taking on the, uh, the, 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 the rest of the movie. So there's then people who, like uh, Gene Hackman, who's already shot all, supposedly all his bits for the second movie, they want to have him come back and do reshoots, and he's like, no, I'm not coming back. Yeah. And a couple people say that. I think the girl who plays his, his Harlequin-esque assistant, mm-hmm. she says the same thing. John Williams, supposedly. Th- there's, there's two different conflicting stories. One, he gets into an argument with Lester. The second is he... He's loyal to he's Donner. On. And, well, yeah, and also there's the story that he's working on Empire Strikes Back. And Raiders of the Lost Ark. And he's yeah. like, I can't come back. But then supposedly, yeah, it's, it's, there's there's a story where but he's in a screening room and he gets into a fight. Like the Sulkins leave a room. They come back and he's in a, almost like a, not a fist fight, but he's in a fight with Lester. And he's like, I can't work with this guy. Yeah. So he evidently he agrees, look, you can use my score for the first movie. And then they get Thorpe. Richard, Richard Thorn, right? Thorn. I think it's Thorn. Yeah, they get Ken. Uh, they Ken Thorn. Sure. Uh, I know I haven't Ken Thorn. Yeah, they get Thorn. I'm thinking of Jim Thorpe, and he had worked with Lester previously. Olympian. Yeah, and uh, he uses mostly, for the most part, he re- just rearranges and he uses Williams's themes. But I, I mean, I actually but he love, does he I, he does generate some stuff because yeah, because you need connective tissue. He be, does write new stuff, but it's mostly all based around what. Williams did now for me for Superman 2 the most icon aside from the theme the most iconic music to me in Superman 2 is the music you hear over the bad guys like the percussion now is that written by is that penned by Williams or I don't know I haven't seen the first one in so long that I can't tell you whether that music is in the first movie or not because I I mean but clearly the Superman theme Lois's theme which is you know uh which became a pop song. Can he read my mind or something like that? Yeah. In the seven, you know, uh, and then Lex Luthor has his own, like, yeah, you know, his own theme. All that stuff is recycled for sure. Because I noticed th- between the two cuts of watching the Richard Donner cut, 
that he does use different music cues yeah and the music cue uh my favorite stuff which is that percussion the you know the slow pace of them that's not in it really at all except i think i heard it near the end when they're flying to the fortress of solitude it's the first time in the in the donner cut i hear it but that's something that's very iconic that i think of as a kid of when they you know because we break down the characters of zod and his two other people i mean they are to me like probably the first time i encountered supervillains you know and terrence stamp is amazing yeah. as zod you know and and um uh what's her face um Susanna douglas is, was so hot to me <laughs> yeah you know as like the bad woman when i was little and even you know jack o- 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 o'halloran is you know he was he was just at the he, to me, he was a wrestler, but it was confusing to me what he was. Was he yeah. stupid, or was he just silent, or is he, <laughs> is he just a, the, the strong man? Um, and, like, you know, they were such proto-villains. You know, when they... I remember, you know, when they come into that town, and that's also stuff that Lester shot when they... The, you know, when they, they land in... What did they land in Idaho? They land in Houston, Idaho. You know, yeah. and they they, they, uh, they encounter the, the legendary Clifton James, who is... Audi- See, and it's another thing, too. I was thinking while watching this. It's like, you got to think of where audiences were in the 70s. You know, Smokey and the Bandit, which we've also covered on this podcast, was huge. And you, yeah. that gave you, you know, the CB craze. And that gave you movies like Convoy or... Uh, what's the one something bear with the, the truck driver with the bear uh, you know BJ yeah BJ yeah BJ and the bear right yeah you know so like that was the craze and like Dukes of Hazards on the horizon it might have already started by then so when they come down into like uh, the Hickville uh, and you see uh, uh, Clifton James who is Sheriff Pepper in the Bond movies who actually predates Sheriff Buford T. Justice Jackie Gleason but he's kind of that proto he shows up in Live and Let Die and then he's on vacation in uh, The Man with the Golden Gun you know and he's playing the same character so I'm sure those were huge movies. Audiences know who he was. Yeah, I mean, they were fucking was James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> so when he when they when they come down into the you know it's it's backroads sheriff it's 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 like it it is like them in meeting Sheriff Buford T Justice or Jackie yeah. Gleason you know so it, it, it's just so funny or Sheriff Pepper you know and then he also ends up being. Uh, there's, I think it's Scooby Doo and the Boo Brothers, uh, an early '80s or mid '80s cartoon movie where uh, there's a sheriff in that that's very much off of the 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 Pepper. But to me, like that was, you know, people automatically you identify with that when they come down and they're yeah. like, you know, so it's just amazing that when you get introduced to them and and them, you know, it, there's a level of being a very small child seeing it being very well, scary. Well, I mean, the first time we, I mean, aside from them being banished to the Phantom Zone. The first time we see them is they kill a bunch of astronauts. That, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's something I had never, I, I haven't, I, I didn't remember seeing that scene until I watched the theatrical yeah. version. It's kind of like scared the shit it's out of me. It's, yeah, it's, 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 you know, when when they're uh, crushing the guy in there or the other guy and she's ripping the patches off and she I didn't realize. She likes ripping off emblems because well, I mean, she, she does that to the yeah. sheriff, well, the, well, the well, deputy too. She's like, takes off his. And uh, then by the thing. end of it, she has like the general, she has, she she's, col- and then that's kind of a f- cool thing where she's like collecting the rivals because she asks, is this your leader? And she, that's like almost a sign of defiance, yeah. you know, and there's so many other other cuts we, we can kind of get into like the tv version the 1984 notorious tv cut yeah. or there's another international cut there's cuts of this there's scenes of this movie that aren't even in the donner cut you know but she has this thing against men you know and she has that line where she's like you know we'll go 
we'll go to Earth, and she's like, oh, I can kill more men or something. You know, she's like, she, she gets off on killing men. Yeah. You know, but so I find it all just so frightening, that, you know, them and, and, uh, well, yeah, I mean, this was definitely my first exposure to Terrence Stamp. Like, he was always oh, odd to me. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they, they're, as villains, they are iconic, I think, for our generation. Yeah. Like you said, like, I don't know. And those outfits they're wearing, too. Like, you <laughs> yeah, know, the black just, robes, you know? It's just like an iconic vision of those three and, and what they do. And they're horrifying. They're menacing. Even though in the context of uh, at least the Lester cut, which is a, there's a little more humor involved. Yeah. You still, there's still, because like, I don't think as a kid you really pick up on a lot of the humor. Yeah. That you do as an adult. I, and I feel like the humor kind of dates it now, where at the time I think that would have been fine. You yeah. know, I mean, people were like laughing along with it, but then the humor now when we watched it is the stuff that I, I was, I, you know, I was like, oh, that's interesting. They did that or they did this, you know. I did definitely when we, when we watched it this time, I had that, that kind of revelation that you often mention of like in your mind, in, in the mind's eye, in hindsight, you're like, so much more happens. Oh yeah, yeah. And then when you watch, you're like, "Oh, is that like <laughs> that's it?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, even though it's like you know the, the theatrical cut is like over two hours long, it's still like it just seems like it's pretty cut and dry. Like well, the, the, when it gets going, it gets going, and there's not like a whole lot of nuance to it. I mean, and it, that's not a negative thing. It's just you know, it is what it is. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I always loved it as a kid. You know, it wasn't until it wasn't. I don't know. It wasn't for me. It wasn't until the Donner cut came out that I realized. Like, I don't think anybody, at least to my recollection, like I don't think anybody had like an issue with anything. Yeah, yeah. No one knew had any negative feelings until the Donner cut came out. And then once the Donner cut came out, it seemed like everyone's like, "Fuck, fuck the theater." It was like it was like they kept this. It was like there's this huge controversy. They swept under the rug, and probably because they didn't have internet, they didn't have the social media to play it up. It happened. Donner's like, "Ah, screw it," you know. And that was the end of it. And then Margot Kidder, I guess, you know, at some point made a comment like, "You know, we shot a whole crapload of footage that I think is better that it's sitting in a vault somewhere." And then finally, when the Donner cut came out. Out, then that that unraveled this whole other aside from uh, I mean I should step back and say like the you know there's the 84 cut there's that phenomenon we talk about a lot where on TV you'll get different cuts of movies yeah. you know Army of Darkness or, or motion, Star Trek the motion picture Trek, I think was picture, like that yeah Halloween he cut he wasn't old stuff but he he they shot new stuff for the Halloween television cut when they the, were the, shooting Halloween two they shoot stuff to add in because back in the day when they need filler or even maybe they're just like oh there's stuff laying around let's do an alternate cut to like get people to I remember when Who Framed Roger Rabbit came on TV the big thing was they were going to have the deleted pig scene where his head comes out of he runs out of Toontown Eddie Valiant with the pig head on so I guess that maybe there was a time where they were like oh there's different cuts or there's let's there's maybe there's an allure to get heads to watch eyes to watch yeah that and also to filler to filler because you needed to make a certain for the with the commercial break and yeah. blah blah blah. Nowadays, they probably just cut cool. the sh- cut the yeah. shit and out of it, speed it up, maybe, and make play it just a little bit faster yeah. to buy time. But like, yeah, I, I, there's stuff I never even realized. So it's like, uh, then watching the theatrical cut, it's like I feel like the them going up to Niagara Falls, the 
the the honeymoon scam that they're yeah. going after. You know, the, the con. I didn't remember why they went up. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So like, I, I don't do, feel like it's fully but, explained. But like, have all the stuff in the movie, like that stuff that I remember the most. The kid falling into the into the Niagara oh, Falls. Oh, I remember when I was little. That was the other thing I used to do. Was I go over to my friend's house on my neighbor, and they had a fence, and I would play that game to yeah. see if I can act like you know because the kid so that before you fall. Yeah, off. and that was one of the most you know iconic things that. That you know, he goes and saves them. But I didn't like. I felt like in the Donner cut, that's explained a little more while they're going up for the for the honeymoon racket. Where this, they're just on an assignment. They go up there, you know. Um, certainly, the opening of them in Paris was like very iconic for me. You know, like the terrorist attack, and, and sadly now that is kind of a little more. You know, when you have um, you know everything going on, like uh, with the Charlie Hebdo thing, you know of. Um, and other kind of very big terrorist attacks, I feel like that's kind of a little more serious than it would have been. Yeah. That they're going to set off a freaking nuclear bomb yeah, up on top. <laughs> top of the yeah, you know, That's stuff back then where it's like, oh my God. That but now, seemed far-fetched back then. But now in post-9-11, that's like, oh, that actually, could actually happen, and that's actually kind of very serious and scary. So, uh, and then, you know, the other things of like him taking him 11 minutes to fly over there that she gets there on the Concord before him or there's scenes of I guess they shot for Superman 1 where he's beating the Concord yeah that show up in the TV there's like there's tons of extra stuff in here so um I mean I always just you know I don't like you said it's probably just just out of sheer availability but Superman 2 was always my favorite of the series yeah um I, you know, and as a kid, it always seemed like it was kind of more action packed. I liked that there were super villains. Yeah, and it's funny because now it's something that I complain about in superhero movies, which is like, why is he always just got to fight a different, ver- like an evil version of himself? Yeah, is something that I'll complain about about. Which goes to Superman three, right? Superhero <laughs> movies now, but because uh, he fights himself with the five o'clock shadows. Oh uh, yeah, and plus in, in the junkyard. But I mean, like you know, not li- not literally a version of himself. But Superman four is like that. Lex Luthor creates oh, that, the evil the, the, the evil the, version of the blonde haired. Yeah. yeah, hello. <laughs> but he fights you know basically Kryptonians. In, yeah. in Superman two. I just there's so much. I saw this at such a young age. I don't realize how like it's just. Uh, imprinted on my being yeah, yeah all these little nuances of the scene of them in the small town uh fighting the townspeople or the bumbling army that's trying to stop them or them going to the white house well we get the you know? we get that moment um which is a little bit recycled for spider-man i want to say i guess it's the first one which is the 2002 the the Sam, first Sam Raimi movie, which is when shit seems down and out. I mean, I, I guess it happens in a lot of the, the Spider-Man movie kind of recycles it maybe a couple of times, but it's when like your hero is down and out, and then the the public steps up like you can't do that to Superman. Yeah. Yo, he just killed Superman. Yeah. Let's get this motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that happens in Spider-Man, you know. Sure. So there's iconic moments in Superman that that are created for Superman too. And probably Superman that then that they're the ripples of like the stone hitting the water that then resonate later. Yeah. You know, like there's definitely, you know, in, in I think in the first Spider-Man is when they're on the tram. Oh, the. the and they the, start throwing shit down at. at uh, the, the Roosevelt Island Ferry, the one. Yeah. And then I think that also happens a bit in 
Superman and Spider-Man 2 on the subway car, which is like Spider-Man's down around, they lift them and they put them down, and then they're all like, they all, you have to get through me kind of thing, and then Doc, Doc Octopus yeah. just, but like that idea of the impact of the hero of 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 the movie then makes the public the, the public stand up to be heroes. Yeah, as opposed to they, they but, he's been protecting them for so long. But yeah, but we see that here in in Superman two. Sure. Um, of course, that big battle scene it's, it's very memorable. I never realized how fucking mem- how prominent Marlboro is. Well, I have always <laughs> until yeah. I watched it. And I was like, she's smoking Marlboros. He gets thrown into the Marlboro truck. Yeah, you I know, remember product placement for Marlboro all over this. Yeah, Mar- Marlboro actually paid a, a crap load of money to have a truck be put in there, and I guess the, the real trucks were non-descript trucks because they didn't want people breaking in and stealing cigarettes or whatever, yeah. and then it turned into some sort of, I guess they had congressional hearings about it, but I remember that being like a, a big fuck-off Marlboro Reds kind of truck that he gets thrown into. I mean, I was big into trucks when I was little, so the whole scene with the guy, when the line is taken out of the Donner Cut, where he's like, "It's gonna, the ring's gonna blow, you'll run away, and him blowing, like, that was always something I would do, you blow to yeah, try to be yeah. cool. So that whole thing of him blowing things, I mean, there's so many things of the blowing the cars up that whole ending it wherever you want to have it to be Times Square or whatever uh, it's just so iconic for me that is like the proto or prototype for everything you see afterward yeah. and of course when he gets his ass handed to him at the, yeah. tr- at the truck stop diner was but, always well, really that, memorable yeah, well to me that is something that is really was a horrifying as a kid yeah to see you know that and it's funny because you look at that guy now that that the the bully is just like oh it's like it's a like a 50s <laughs> 60s kind of a bully, you know, because he's an older yeah. guy, he's a trucker and stuff. But it's it's actually like for a young kid that's traumatizing. Yeah, it's just as traumatizing for me than to see like the evil Superman and Superman three with the five o'clock shadow, you know, drinking in the bar and then you know and then fighting himself. It's like it's like it's even more so because it's real. Yeah, like it's an element of of violence that's realistic in a fantasy world. So it really pops and then as well as superman it's it actually is horrifying like because when he falls through that window superman's like i'm bleeding like, oh my god superman's bleeding like you're, you're identifying you're with is, him. it's my blood yeah it's it's and then the music's all like it's 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 quite frightening and he's getting his ass handed to it in front of the woman he loves which is, yeah but then see this is what gets into the you know the you look at the 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 theatrical cut versus the donner cut it's hard because lois lois lane is played kind of like She's kind of a bitch where she's like, I, I, there's a line when they're driving back or whatever. She's like, I want the man I fell in love with. And it's like, well, I gave up everything for you. And it's not necessarily her fault because he just jumps right to it. And she's like, before she he, she knows it, he's taking his powers away. And she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, it's like, what are you doing? But in the Donner cut, I feel like it's a little more sympathetic. I don't know. I didn't read it as not. I didn't read that line as being like, I want Superman. I think it's she means that as a consoling to oh, me. I felt like she was like, like I I don't like Clark Kent. I like Superman, and you took that away. Now I'm kind of oh I didn't read settling, it that way. you know, for you know where she's a little more to supportive me, in the Donner cut. Where she's to like, me it was to me I read it like you know I don't know I just didn't read it that way. Yeah, yeah. I read it more like she's saying like you know you don't need to be tough. Like Superman never picked a fight with anybody. Yeah, like I. 
and he because he's like you know i wish the guy the man i fell in love with he's like yeah i would i me too <laughs> like i wish he was here too yeah but i didn't read it as like her being kind of cunty because isn't it isn't the is it the Zack snyder movie where they have her kind of fall in love with the clark kent it's like the first time where she kind of if i, I, I it's been so long since i've seen that one where it's i feel like there is a you know they some people say they get it right by doing that like she you know it's because that's the triangle there. So it's yeah. like if he's taking his powers away, he's just per- permanently becoming Lois uh, uh, Clark Kent. This is also a triangle that I think happens with, again, like in the Spider-Man movies. You know, like I don't, I don't remember the Spider-Man comics back in the day as much as like I know by because by the seventies, I feel like he's he and Mary like Mary Jane knows that he's Spider-Man. By the time like I started reading it. There wasn't like a love triangle between Spider-Man, Peter Parker, and and when Gwen Stacy or and or Mary Jane Watson. Like I feel like, but that's something that I think gets lent to the movies. Yeah, you know that like the crush on the superhero when the secret and and not realizing that the this average dude is the superhero. Yeah, but that's something that's definitely established here in the in the Superman movies. That I think is another thing that becomes completely relevant. You know, it's another thing that then influences the way we see superhero movies going into like the big uh, when they take off in the two thousand. Sure, yeah, um, yeah. It's just I, I'd forgotten how, how such the iconic imagery in this and all, all the the different things that that you know, like I said, it just being ingrained into me that I don't even remember until I'm watching. Like, oh yeah, like the music or this or that. Um, it's just it's so powerful you know even the funny bits with lex luther ex- escaping the prison yeah you know i mean and then ned Beatty trying to climb up you know and then letting them go and then you know you find it so far-fetched now that in the theatrical cut they're going to just take a balloon ride there to to you know the arctic or wherever the fortress of solitude is where in the donner cup they do have like uh, i feel like you didn't get to see the snowmobile that turns into the raft you know what i mean yeah um and then how he gets there, and then he's able to just figure things out. And um, I don't know. I really liked the Marlon Brando stuff. I mean, it, it does add a level of melodrama, but I did like the Marlon Brando stuff in the Donner Cut. And I like the. I love the Mother stuff too. Yeah, yeah. And then especially how you have more of the interactive. Um, like, there's that really for me very powerful when he like the Brando makes eye contact with her. Yeah. Like you know he's he, he's doing this for you, kind of a thing. And then. Uh, yeah, it's just, you know... I have I have mixed feelings about the Donner Cut. Yeah. I remember when I watched the Donner Cut when it came out. Yeah. I didn't like it. Yeah. I mean, I know everybody was like, the Donner Cut, the Donner Cut. And I watched it, and I was like, I don't know. I kind of remember. I kind of feel like I like the theatrical cut better. When we watched it now, there was definitely... I definitely have mixed feelings about it. There's stuff about the Donner Cut that I like better. But I feel like there's stuff about the theatrical cut that I like better. I like the lighter tone yeah. of it. Um, I think the way it begins, the Donner cuts the. W- I think having the way Zod, I, the Phantom Zone gets disrupted, <clears throat> being from the events of the first movie, I think is a stronger opening. Yeah. Than the uh, Paris and terrorist thing, so I, I like that better. And I also like the bit where you have, which I had forgotten, is in the, the the first movie because I hadn't seen it so long. The bit of him yelling. Yeah. Because that's the only time you ever see in either cut. 
Zod being that emotional about anything. You know, I mean, you you clearly he's got a thing going on with you know Jarrell and yeah. Kyle. You know, but so seeing him yell like that, it's just like you know, as a thespian, you're like, whoa, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> you know, um, so I I love that. But then I do kind of miss the Paris. I like that whole yeah. You know, but the, I think it's you know, more out of nostalgia than yeah. I guess and it's you're also right. like it's a it's more of an adventurous opening. It's more of a like the comic book, or yeah. you know, it's like him thwarting, you know. But like it's like I like that scene, but I like the device of the nuclear weapon. Yeah, sure. Like I think it's a better connection of it's the, better well, connect, yeah. connecting oh. those two. Even though I like the the fun, yeah, of of the Paris scene. And I also feel like in the theatrical cut, it's not really explained how he gets his powers back. Or in the Donner cut, you do you real, you know what I mean? But see, I like the fact that we don't know that he just shows up and he's like, hey. So he did have like a it's more a, like a, a resume or like a, a undo <laughs> button. It, it, well, it's more like. It's more like I just don't like the way... He, I don't like that scene. I don't like the way he gets them back. The Donner scene. In the Donner cut. Yeah. Like, it's just like it makes less sense to me. That it's a, like, because he's like, you're not going to be able to get them back. And at the end, he's like, you I, know, it, like a half hour later, he's like, well, I knew you'd be calling <laughs> Well, the dad knew. that. I happen to know. Yeah, I, I was keeping it in my back pocket. And then he materializes. And it's... And I get, like, what they're going for, which is, like, the son becomes the father. Sure. But it's more like the stuff with Brando, including when he gets the, when he gives his powers away. It's like I like the Brando scenes more of like the intention than what actually happens. Yeah, than uh, than the actual execution. Do you like, miss the mother? Do you miss Susanna? I, do, I like the mother. It's tough because when he gives the when he gives his powers away for Lois, I like the mother scene better. But I like that there's more to it in the Brando scene. Like, I wish the mother scene was just a little bit longer. There's yeah. more of a dialogue between them because it's pretty cut and dry. Yeah. But I like that he's talking about his mother because in the Brando scene, when he gives up his powers, I just feel like Jarrell is unreasonably hard on him. And I also feel like his motivation by the dialogue seems more selfish. Jarrell's it like Clark's Superman he's like cause he's like I want this how much more do I have to give them it's like well you didn't give them that much there's only one movie that happened like two weeks ago well I think that's that that's, was fucking two weeks ago <laughs> it, <was fucking> two <laughs> weeks it wasn't ago. like he had been Superman helping the world for years well I wonder so if he's it's, like how much more do I need to give them I want I deserve this kind of thing yeah. and to me it's just it's more like I the intention I like behind it and I get like the drama of like why do I need to give up happiness for these people? But there's something about the execution I don't love. Whereas in the f the the Lester stuff is just more romantic. I yeah. like the Niagara Fall stuff, and that's something we can get into like the reveal of how he's that he's Superman after this. But like I love that his to his mom is just like, but I love her. Yeah, and she's like, does she love you? Does she feel the same about you? And he's like, yeah. And she's like, okay. You know, it's like, I wish there was more to the mother scene of when he gives up his powers, but I like that it seems more romantic to me. Yeah. Than, you know, than Jarrell being like, well, you know, like you have a responsibility and yeah. you're going to give up 
just you're gonna you're gonna give up saving these people just for this one person that that does that's not that doesn't make sense but if you want to do it see i like because I, I don't necessarily feel like and i'd have to go back and rewatch the beginning of the first one again because to me it wasn't like Jarrell wasn't sending kal-el to earth to be their champion you know, I think there's a little bit of that in that scene in the beginning of the first one because he's like he's going to be more powerful than them and blah blah blah. And it was it wasn't like to me it was like he sent him to save him to save the kid. Now he didn't send the kid to save Earth. Yeah, you know. So I just feel like it's he's a little too much pressure coming from. Yeah, him. yeah. He's like Jarrell. He's like, well, you know, Superman was like, well, maybe you should have built a fucking pod big enough for yourself, and then you could come save these assholes. Yeah. Like, what? Well, like, I, why are you putting this on me, Dad? I like. like the, why is that my responsibility? I like the idea of. I mean, I don't know how young Christopher Reeves or or Clark Kent or uh, Kal Al is supposed to be at that age, but I like the idea of the father being like, you know, because you know, young people make rash decisions like that, and like you, you know, you have to remember the what you're what you're actually doing yeah. here. You and have, I've, I, I get know, that, and like yeah. I said, I like the, I there's parts of me that like the intention behind it. I see what they're going for. But they just don't. They just rub me a little bit yeah. the wrong way. Because you know, I see it in the movie. It's like Brando's. Like you know, sometimes you love him and leave him. Some, <laughs> you never know how long you're going to be with this girl. You know, and, and as far as we know, this is the first woman you've been in love with <laughs> know, at this exactly. point in the movie. This could be. Are you sure this isn't just no, this uh, is the one an obsession? You know. So I, then that's why I found it. I found it to be very powerful when because that's another thing. Is like, what is the Fortress of Solitude supposed to be? Uh, past his his you know man cave is it supposed to be a connection to the to the dad through time where he's actually like picking up a phone and talking to his dad or is it a computer with all the saved stuff it's some kind of like artificial intelligence yeah yeah because it's like he says it uh, brando says it but the mother says your father and i it was like we tried to anticipate every question you would yeah. have so it was like they're like Fuck, hit record yeah, yeah, yeah. he's gonna want to know but this it, it, but it's a little more than it just being a uh, a computer it's it yeah it is an artificial intelligence because at that point when uh brando looks up at her yeah and he's like see what you've done you, you know must, you yeah bitch. You, you fucking <laughs> bitch you know i love that i mean yeah. that's i just i that really you know because it's almost like you know i even feel like she's like whoa whoa why don't you slow down because you're, you we should talk about this before <laughs> this you is a pretty <laughs> this is a pretty big commitment yeah here. you know we're not even living together yet. <laughs> exactly <laughs> we just slept together which is also i like that better in the in the theatrical cut he sleeps with her after he becomes mortal yes whereas in the donner cut he sleeps with her as superman yeah and it's almost like he's got he's kind of blinded by the poon yeah <laughs> i know that's not a political way of saying it. yeah but he's <laughs> he's blinded by the sex but like i'm gonna give up everything yeah, this girl. yeah you know and uh he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna become jewish he's like he's like giving up his <laughs> denomination he's like everything where it was like i like the it's uh, the, the the theatrical cut just seems a little more romantic including like in the Donner cut, she seems like a fucking psycho. She's jumping out. I'm like, I get, yeah. I get, like on, pr- on premise. Yeah. In it, <laughs> like her jumping into the Niagara Falls and her jumping out of the built out of is the, the same it, yeah. is the same premise. Yeah. But there's something about her just like throws herself. <laughs> out of, <laughs> there's something about that just seems like more psycho to me. And then that she and then that she shoots Clark. And I, I get that she then says there's blanks in the gun. But there's something that like she just whips out this gun. It's like whoa, Lois. You know <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. This, this bitch is crazy. <laughs> These bitches are packing. <laughs> it's like whoa, whoa. So there's a lot. 
lot of what I love, but there's something about even though it seems awfully convenient, the reveal of uh, in the, in the hotel in the Niagara Falls about him being Stumbling Superman. And, there's and, something more romantic. It's like yeah, he's not forced into it. Yeah. Where she forces him in the other she cut. She forces his hand in the Donner cut. Which people will say, well, it's because it's what they... It, there's a lot of, I think, excuses where people will say, well, we're using the footage we had, we're using the audition tape, we're using this well, that's or that. Well, that's another... You that's know. actually something I, I do want to talk about. But I like that there, it's more romantic because then she's also... Even but though I know that people are like... The, the, there's critics of the theatrical cut who are like, you know, he's off getting laid, the world's going to shit. You know, what's he doing? Like well, he, he just doesn't know. You know. He took a long weekend. Yeah, he's, he's up there like cooking her dinner and, and, you know, is it all right for you, the temperature? I have the, uh, the Nest thermostat on. But, <laughs> you know, him revealing... It's more his choice of him revealing that he's Superman to Lois, and that's even though his his hand is a little more forced out of the incident that he didn't burn himself. Yeah, but it's more like he makes and he's like, I don't know. And even he says to him, he's like, I don't know why I just told you that. And yeah. she's like, Well, maybe because cause you wanted to. He's like, I don't think so. He's yeah. like, Well, maybe it's your heart. And there's something. There's more. Rom- it's more romantic. I, I agree with you there. Certainly in this in that scene uh, of her, you know, because but then there's other stuff I like. Um. But some of this, but, like, but to your point about, I think that I think it's very important to recognize the Donner cut is a, is a cut made thirty almost thirty years later. Yeah. So had Donner made the movie in nineteen eight for nineteen eighty, who knows whether it's 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 unlikely that this would be the version of the movie that he would have made. One, yeah. he might have not had Brando. To begin with, yeah. even if he if he made, he might Brando might still might not have been in it. Sure, and it's also he has the benefit of like twenty eight or whatever years to look back at what the what Superman two was, yeah, and what it became, and to work off of that as and a- he had already shot his wad with the turning back time ending, yeah. So had you know we can look at the Donner cut and say like this is the way Donner would have made the movie. It's like no, it's what he initially intended it for it to be yeah based on the script that they had but very rarely does the final does the script they start with end up being what the movie ends up being so i think it's it's important to recognize that even though this is the donner cut in 2006 that is very likely not the way the donner cut would have been had he made the movie in 1980 yeah it's certainly fascinating to see the amount of footage that had to be left on the table so much so there's even more that's not even included in the cuts like the death of the little boy when the, um what's his face non i think his name is n-o-n throws the uh heated um fire uh the police siren at the kid when he's leaving you know and the more the violence at the white house where zod takes up a machine gun and just starts shooting people yeah. and there's more like there's a, uh, a scene i really like that shows a, like a little more of uh sarah douglas's like hatred of men where the one guy sh- he stops and then she allows him the bow and then she like fucking kicks him you know <laughs> yeah, like, like yeah. i like a little of those touches you know mm-hmm. um uh, I, I feel like they're fleshed out a little better because for me, I guess, watching this theatrical cut, a little of the lighthearted jokes were the stuff that stuck out to me of of, of it being dated. Yeah. Which, uh, but I understand what they were going for, like him trying to learn how to work his eyes. You know, it's comic relief. It's something for the kids. And, you know, um, and then the music that's lacking, like I like a little of the theatrical version's music that, that's not and in the Donner cut. I think that's almost like Donner's ego got in the way there. Yeah. Like, I feel like... He was so 
wanted to use as little of what Lester had used. Sure. That he probably used mostly just Williams' score from the first movie. Or stuff they didn't, al- alternate takes or unreleased stuff. So it's very... So, mm. like, I feel like he was probably like, oh, don't use that fucking Ken Thorne stuff. Yeah. You know, like, as much as you don't use as little as you can, and I think you do lose a little bit of it because that music, even though the themes and stuff were written by Williams, they were arranged for the moments in Superman 2. Yeah. And I agree. I think I think ultimately, as a whole... I like the way the music was used more in the theatrical yeah. cut than in the Donner cut. I found myself liking just the explanation of how the powers come back and then the, um, you know, the, uh, Perry White setting up. What's his face? Um, Jackie Cooper setting up. You know, you guys are going up to Canada as your next assignment because there's a honeymoon racket. It's like, oh, okay. There is a confidence scheme like that. You know, I yeah. like, but they, you know. But that's explained. It's just explained by them. Yeah. When she's but, like... We're here, like, you know, I should be off reporting or whatever. How am I going to get my Pulitzer Prize when I'm looking at a honeymoon scheme for the fucking Sunday Magazine edition? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it just, is there. Yeah. Just, it, I guess maybe it feels I think just, more expositional yeah. in the theatrical cut. It's just interesting because there's so much stuff that that just would have never gotten. And it's at, at the end of the day, it's sad that it's, you know, the fans have been petitioning for this for decades. And they inter- they, the fans even cut together an international version. I heard a story where there was actually a traveling salesman who literally was traveling around the country. And then every time he would catch the TV, he'd turn on, he'd see a different cut of the movie. And he's like, and he knew the movie well enough where it's like a new line or whatever. He's like, what the f-? So I've heard urban legend is that he may be the one behind, which could be wrong, of getting this international cut together that then they release on the early versions on the website the fan sites and then warner you know they they issue an ultimatum where they're going to say like we're going to sue you for like inf- copyright infringement yeah. so it's sad when it only gets to 2006 and then it's brian singer looking in the vaults and then they discover all this brando stuff that they're going to use in superman returns yeah that then th- the after there's tons of petitions by everybody and their mother that then only they're like, oh, there's an audience for this. We can make money. Sure, we'll open the. Because you think about well, how many other. If you think about it, it's a brilliant commercial for Superman Returns. Sure. It's probably really their motivation. Yeah. Like we'll put it out, and then it'll get like people will be. Yeah. It'll be like Superman, 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 and then when Superman, and Superman, as Superman, we, Superman, as we see Superman Returns, we'll be building. Yeah. Excitement for it by doing. And this. it's and it's another thing where like we did Predator Two some weeks ago, and it's like I never realized until during the research for that that. The sequel to Predator 2 is Predators, the 2010. It never occurred to me that Superman Returns is kind of the sequel to Superman 4. Superman 2. Isn't that the way it was supposed to be? That like I, I remember that it was like... I haven't seen it since in a long time. And I actually... I'm one of the... I, th- I feel like I'm one of the few like champions of Superman Returns. I actually really like Superman well, Returns. I know like it got a bad rap. It never occurred to me. But my recollection was like they... I could be wrong, but my recollection about when it came out was that they were like, dropping they were, three and four. They were pretending like three and four never happened. Oh, okay, and that after Superman two, he leaves. Oh, and then this is when he comes back, almost like uh, you know H two O Halloween and yeah. and and Halloween two thousand eighteen. They're like let's abandon the sequels, yeah. and then because it was my recollection that he was it was supposed to come right after Superman two, which is probably why they were pushing the Donner cut out as kind of promotion. Like this happens after. Yeah, because I, one of my criticisms when I saw that, I was like, you know, he's he's being too much like Christopher. He's playing it almost. I thought he was almost playing it like Batman. He wasn't being too friendly or whatever. And I guess it's because he was trying to do a little more of a Christopher Reeves. Yeah, and I remember when Superman Returns come, came out, my mom was like, 
I don't know. I saw the commercial. I saw him on TV. He's like, I don't like that he just looks like Christopher Reeves. And I was like, but Christopher Reeves looks like Superman. <laughs> That's what it's for. <laughs> like, you know, of course he looks like Christopher Reeves because Christopher Reeves was fucking Superman. Yeah. I, and it's just uh, amazing the amount of stuff that they just had that. It is fascinating you know, that they how much was reshot that didn't need to be reshot other than to get around some kind of DGA Directors Guild Association yeah, rules. Just get a credit. <laughs> you, know. you know, the amount of money wasted on that. And it, I think it was because it was also like Lester went to Donner and said, do you, do you want a co-directing credit and he's like I, he's like I, if I, it's not my movie I don't want to be on it yeah. like, I don't I don't share credit on yeah. shit and so then it became Lester was like okay well then I need to shoot Enough reshoot to, all yeah. this stuff and then they had to use like a double for uh, Hackman to, or, to, and then they had to get a sound alike to do you know the lines they needed um, they shot a lot of the stuff it's funny because I get more of a sense of New York City in the theatrical cut like they're around like uh down by the Empire State Building. I was trying yeah. to place where they are. Some scenes when they're fighting up, it looks like it's Rockefeller Center. But then other times, you know, they're on top of the Empire State Building around there or down by the Chrysler Building or south on Lexington. I thought yeah. it was... Well, definitely the Denley Planet looks like they might have used Rockefeller Center as like the exterior or at least modeled it after Yeah, or that. the top the top bit of the building because then at some points it looks like maybe they're in Times Square. So maybe that's where the Daily Planet's supposed to be when they shot not Times Square, it's Planet Square. Yeah, Planet Square. <laughs> or, you know, or there, you know, you, you have the t Twin Towers there, and then when they're, everyone can see, you know, everyone's looking out the window and they're traveling around Manhattan, but they end up being in the same, they can, everyone can still see everything. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to place New York City more than I was in the Donner Cut, but uh, it's just, it, it's amazing just the, the stuff they left on the floor, even to this 1984 and TV cut that was stuff that's in there that if you go on YouTube, which we can include a link to in this, there's stuff that's not even in the Donner cut that they had in there, you know, that that's other things of them arriving outside the Fortress of Solitude trying to figure out how to get in yeah. or the excessive violence of him picking up a machine, which I don't think the machine gun bit was in Richard Donner cut. I don't remember. Um, it's just so many yeah, yeah, There's so many, you know, <laughs> but um, I'm trying to think of what else is... Um, well, the ending is the big... Well, then the ending, what people got pissed off about, which actually evidently is something that's, you know, is something that was in the... The, the comics before him giving because then it was yeah I was even like what the hell did he just I do see, you know I understand as a kid I was I was confused by it and I remember my dad like explaining to me but it's also like it's another th element that's romantic about it so I didn't really mind the yeah but people do get the th we're talking about the amnesia kiss which is in the theatrical which cut. is in the theatrical cut now for the people I'm sure there are people that know this but for the people that don't know this is not something they invented for the movie yeah he actually does this in 1963 in Action Comics number 306. That sly bastard. <laughs> so there is a precedent for it. Sure. So it wasn't like they were like, we need a, I mean, it probably was motivated, but like, we need an ending. But it wasn't like they invented this crazy wackiness, unlike possibly the cellophane well, that's ass. another thing where I was like, what the hell? Because I remember, <laughs> I remember more of that and as a parody like, for Family Guy. There's also like a line that I, even as a kid I didn't understand. It was like, we used to play this game in school. And I was like, well, you weren't in school on fucking Krypton. <laughs> but uh, the kiss never, as a kid, I mean, I guess it, it seems like a cop-out. But like, it plays into the romanticism of it. But also, as an adult watching that scene, 
Like Margot Kidder's so good in that scene. Like she's better for me, better in that scene than she is in the equivalent of the Donner cut, which she's like, "Don't worry, I'm not going to tell anybody." But it's hard for me. Like how you're going to, we're going to see each other in the office, and I can't talk to you. And like, yeah. there's a very she's really good in that scene. Yeah, people are very polarized about that because they're like, you know, um, and no point should Lois uh, for sure should should Clark can't be kissing. Uh, Lois Lane in the Daily Planet. So there's there's very there's a lot of like f- firm camps of you know her him dropping her off. I mean I kind of like the little more of the because it's you know it's it's like it, it's like they slept together and then the next day at work they're a little weird. They're like well what are we gonna what are we gonna do here? You know it's like yeah. do we let people know we're in the Donner cut? It's a little more. She's like I'll keep your secret. Yeah. You know, but it's like can I trust you? You know. Uh, um, but here's the thing for for everybody that's not that doesn't like the amnesia kiss. Which again for me is not that big of a deal. It just adds something to the romance of it, which I'm a sucker for. I don't think the I don't think the answer to it in the Donner Cut is better. I think it's worse. Yeah. One, I love that his motivation in the first movie to go back in time, it was her. Yeah. Like I love that. And here it is too, but the stakes aren't as big. Um but then you get the, the by traveling back in time, you get the element of like it was all a dream, which is like a cop out. It's like, why did we just have this movie? Yeah. If you could have eliminated all the shit that happened by traveling back in time, because all he more, yeah. cause all he does in, in the end of two is he travels back in time so that Zod and everybody's still trapped in the Phantom Zone. Yeah, they're not like they don't he, get burst it, out. It eliminates the entire movie. The whole movie exists for no reason, and then you get like the end cap of him. Going back to the diner and beating that, up the beat up a guy who didn't and now yeah. in this reality never did anything to Clark. But he is still a, a, a <laughs> he, he may a, still be a jerk. You know, what do you but call now that, he's uh, innocent because he didn't actually do anything. But he still deserves what he got. Yeah, and that's another thing. It's like at the end the lines, you know, there's no indication from from him that of course he doesn't recognize Cl- everybody seems to like she's a little like, wait a minute. You know, I I've feel, been pumping iron. Yeah, she's like, I feel. Yeah, even when he's like the the diner owner's like, I just had this place fixed. It's like, has he just beat up some other poor sucker? Yeah. You know, because he's a heel. But yeah, it's like you know, you don't know. I mean, it's, it's like it's it's so iconic when him for me walking him in the diner getting his ass kicked, and then him just like he's like, I'm gonna walk to the Arctic, and then like the again when him like <laughs> you know walking up the road and the truck yeah, going by. Yeah. That's so. Steve Scott you know, and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the snow cat yeah, yeah. trying to get up to the. <laughs> I, I'm going up to the Overlook Hotel. You know, I'll take you as far as <laughs> as uh, Overlook Pass. Um, you know, it's but it's like that's so iconic for me as a, as a kid because it looks like yeah. he's in North the North Pole. I guess my only my my I guess what I'm saying is, you know, there might be elements of the theatrical cut that people don't like. Which, yeah. honestly, I think most people were fine with a lot of those things before the Donner cut came out. But I don't, the problem, the biggest problem with the Donner cut to me is that like, if there are problems with the theatrical cut, the, the Donner cut doesn't necessarily fix those problems. It just presents those problems or creates new problems in a different light. It's not like the Donner cut is the answer. No, it's just a different version. Yeah. It does answer some questions. I mean, it will answer, you know, my, my, would you say they explain, but like the, like the honeymoon racket thing, I like Perry White giving that just a clear cut assignment. Yeah. And then I like the, I like seeing how he got the powers back so uh, that it's not more of a flipperoo when he gets in there. Cause we just saw him using it to take his powers away. Yeah. But then he gets in there and he's like in the, you know, it's like he's in the, um, the, what do you call that? The, he's in the, the, 
Doctor Who uh, TARDIS. You know, yeah, he, yeah. he hits the button, and then you don't realize, you know. See, the, it, yeah, I just don't like that. That's how he gets his powers back. Yeah, like it, for some reason, it just doesn't. It, well, it's like it, it's, it feels weird. To it's me. interesting that that's the last. I mean, you I, know, the I, computer, because then you get the whole sequence, which Lester shoots of like the crazy when he takes his powers away. You see, like him melting, like you have all yeah, that, yeah. you know, stop motion for a second. Like I you understand, know. there's power behind having to go back and like admit to your dad that you were wrong. Like I get that there's well, his dad's rubbing it in his face. There's a drama bit. there. Yeah, it's like I said for me, you know, like I don't want to, I don't want to sh- poo-poo on it, but I. It's more like I like what it was meant to be than yeah. I like the way it was than the way it is in the movie because I, mean, I, I get like the drama of it and I know people really like that like having to go tell Jarrell like look I fucked up dad <laughs> you were right but I don't know it, I get that like the cop out of how does he get his powers back being a mystery it could, could irritate some viewers but to me it, it I don't know it it seems more active even though we don't see it He's like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to figure out how to do it. He he gets the crystal. We don't see what happens. Because we also, if he gets his powers back and Jarrell's like, this is the last time I'm ever going to talk to you. You know, the computer is, is messed up now. Like, he, he almost, like, it it becomes inexplicable as to, like, how he configures the, the, the pod to then... Well, it's got to be something that the father also figured out. Because I think it's the father... He had to know in either movie that that if they ever break out, this is the panic room. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean. You hit the button if this, if they ever come here, just in case you need to reverse the parallelity of your, of I just your feel like you know there's, photon because then he blows up the he uses his eyes at the end of the diner cut to blow up the fortress solitude, right? Solitude, you know, yeah. so that there's no coming back. Yeah, you know. I just um, feel like you know, like I was saying before, like I don't think the diner the diner cut in some ways doesn't answer doesn't fix it, a lot of the problems yeah. in, some, in some ways it might but uh they both have convenient sure there's a lot of convenience in the way the storytelling yeah. is in both and I, I can't imagine i i feel like i have a memory of this but i don't know if i'm implanting it now because we're talking about it uh or we've been in preparation for this episode but like i feel like i have a memory of the 1984 uh abc tv event because I'm that sure must we, have been just I'm sure we watched it on tv as kids that must have been such a crazy to see that they actually had like a, a crap load of extra footage you know in there and that's back in the day when this this wasn't commonplace yeah. so for suddenly people are like what they, they're making a new movie or you know who knows how it was presented but to have extra footage of extra dialogue with you know of them but on, at the same you know, time you know like i said i didn't have cable really so i probably didn't watch it as much as you did yeah. as a kid so I probably, even if I watched it on TV on a Sunday night with commercials, I probably didn't even know that there was extra shit because I didn't know the movie yeah, that, that well. That well. And another one that used to play for a crap load for me too was Supergirl, yeah. which is something I haven't seen s- since back then, but I have very clear memories of, what's his face in it? Peter O'Toole. Peter O'Toole in it. Uh, isn't it uh, from Chinatown? It's what's her name? And Network. Uh, uh, Faye Dunaway Faye Dunaway yeah you know and then as well so I remember I remember renting it with my dad at my dad's house well I remember it being on <laughs> a lot and I remember being a featurette and I've always it stuck with me that like she was a model or she was someone walking down the streets of New York City and the producer was literally passing her on the street saw her and was like I'm gonna put you in the new Supergirl movie yeah Supergirl you know and, and she then, plays the, that actress plays Supergirl's mom in the CW show oh that's great and Dean Kent 
Dean Cain plays her dad. Yeah. Oh, her awesome. adopted parents, not the not her Kryptonian parents. And it's like, you know, you think of these, you know, the the traumatizing of Superman being beat up in, in the diner. For me, it was like those guys trying to attack her and maybe rape her and Supergirl was very, I didn't like that scene. It's when also very. the crap out of him, you know. I mean, here's, this is probably a movie you haven't seen in a really long time, but there's a connection. And obviously, Superman 2 was first, but there's a, a similar uh, thing going on in Starman. Yeah. I where mean, there's a, they stop at a truck stop and. Is that with the deer? He gets in a, Yeah. And then he gets. Because the, the guy comes out and says, Will you fucking with my deer? <laughs> yeah. And then he gets punched and he had never been. And Starman has never been hit before. And I think he gets a bloody nose. And so Jeez. there's. So so that probably influences even Starman a sure. couple of years later. That's why you don't go to these truck stops late at night. It's just crazy. Um, I don't know if there's little bits here while we wrap up about like the, um, evidently the first. TV spot on MTV, the first commercial that ever aired in, in August the 1st, 81, was a commercial for Superman which 2, which is pretty cool. Uh, Henry Fonda is a what-if as playing the president, but we got E.G. Marshall, who we love, who we, you know, creep he shows show. up creep show. Uh, he's also an alum of um, 12 Angry Men, which Henry Fonda was oh, yeah, in. yeah, yeah. Um, One of my faves. And I feel like he's in something else, E.G. Marshall, we did. We haven't done creep show, but I feel like we did something that he was in. Uh but anyway, but, uh, you know, and then just, it's funny because you see, to me, um, the in the commercial or the, the theatrical cut, New York, them shooting on, on location in New York City is very more uh, evident. But then uh, for the Donner cut, it is certainly the Pinewood Studios. And yeah. Pinewood Studios ends up being where they shoot, you know, Gotham City. What is that? Eight years later, nine years later. Yeah. So for the whole... Uh, ending with the big climax of them fighting that's all Pinewood Studios in the Times Square or Metropolis Square you know so the thing like them yeah, them doing the Lord's work reconstructing all this stuff and putting you know and then that also answers the question because watching the theatrical cut the little kid in the the little bumblefuck town he's got like an English accent <laughs> please let my dad down you know yeah, it's like yeah. you know and, and then I remembered all that them messing with the dad and then with the fish them coming down into the water and all you know it's just it's so far them going to you know uh going to the white house and him bringing the flag back and putting it you know putting it back and saying you forgot something sir you know and yeah, yeah. so it's just uh, all those the iconic footage and you know like the you know the the, the marlboro truck and it's just so funny th- seeing Coca-Cola all this stuff sign yeah you know them throwing them throwing them into the coca-cola sign and all, all the product placements it's like you know you're looking for the chock full of nuts sign you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. you're looking for all this stuff it's just um you know, it's 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 interesting, and then like you know the a- the aspects of uh, you know Mario Puzo trying to keep it like very religious, you know of, of you know him being almost like the the Christ baby and yeah. going down the river as Moses and like him coming in as the shuttle and Zod and you know Jarrell being God and Kyle being you know the 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 Jesus child and all that kind of a thing, um, and like you know this it, it it's just really I wish you could do this more take different movies and have different cuts and see the different stuff that that's left on the f- the floor to see what else yeah, you can I mean, come I up with the advent of dvd definitely has yeah helped that because i mean I, f- I feel like special features are l- less prominent in the dvd in the blu-ray age at least in the major motion pictures you have like the boutique distribution companies like scream factory and arrow that are taking genre pictures and doing special features really still doing special features but i feel like 
the advent of like the 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 thing of special features is less prominent in like the first run studio pictures. Yeah, where you, I mean, maybe they'll throw on shit that they have, but it seems like much more of an afterthought. I feel Whereas like when DVD first came out, it was like here's the deleted footage with audio commentary. Yeah, uh, with the director explaining what the where would have come, and uh, this is. I felt like when um when Netflix got going really well. I first started seeing that, that they were realizing that, like people weren't buying DVDs as much because people were just renting them on Netflix. So that's when you started, I started to see myself where it's like you have one of two things happen. One, it'll be, this is just the rental copy only with no special features. Oh, yeah. Or you'd have the special features there, but then when you try to touch them, they're like, sorry, unavailable. Fuck Go you. buy the movie. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. You know, the fuck you pay me, you know, you know, so it's like you got that. We're like, oh, that sucks. So, you know, I saw a lot of that. So I wonder if that and then now it's like they don't who cares? You know, it's like you get this beautiful Blu-ray 4K fucking transfer. And then you look at there's no special features. It's like it's almost just as simple as the interactive menu. It's like, (laughs) you kidding me? I'm going to pay this much money for like the sixth time I've ever got this on DVD or on disc. And you can't give me. The older, you know, up until that point, whatever else you've included, I got to go buy and go on eBay and find an out of print thing to get the commentary. I, don't, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think there is like a definitive two disc or, you know, ultimate Superman 2. Well, is, I heard recently that they have made a Superman 78. There's been like a. Uh, there might be a Superman because I know that there's a, there is a, there's a 4K uh, UHD. Disc that you can get of the first one, yeah. But the, those usually don't have a bunch of special features. But those all come with a regular Blu-ray, yeah. And usually they'll have the special features on the Blu-ray. So even though it's because they need all the space for the you know the 4K transfer, sure. but the but I know there <clears throat> there is that for the first one. But I don't like, and I'm sure that stuff's great. And I'm sure, and I even recall that there's probably a television version of the first movie with extra stuff oh yeah i bet um, you they've got tons of extra stuff they can make a whole series out of all but this stuff. the but the superman 2 one seems to be the more interesting yeah that you could probably do the you could probably put out a set with the con the, the donner cut the theatrical cut the television cut maybe that international you know cut. like one of those blade runner souped up motherfuckers sure <laughs> four different yeah a work print release and all that you know um going back sitting down with you you know having a couple brews and watching the theatrical cut and not seeing it for 35 years or so it really goes back again to us talking about that theme of seeing stuff and you know it it doesn't help but make me wonder like you know young people today watching movies that are um especially superhero movies that are all uh, you know where the magic is just two actors walking into a, a soundstage and on a green screen oh, yeah. and acting everything in the green screen and that's what you see in the special features and everything's done in a computer in post you know i wonder what and this is a rhetorical question because we ask this all the time i wonder how a younger audience will come back and watch the theatrical cut of superman 2 because for me watching this it's not just the fact of us knowing the backstory of of how groundbreaking this is and this being like the first time you're seeing uh i mean for the most part uh the uh super villains fighting super guys you've had that before certainly on tv shows or whatever yeah but it's and it being a little slower paced certainly the first superman movie but this one but it's like for us to sit back and watch this movie superman 2 and see like wow this is back when you had to do everything physically live action you had to really throw cars you had to really pick 
people up and have them fly. You had to make fake entire blocks of sets. You had to make miniatures where they're throwing stuff. You know, it's yeah. just it's awe inspiring. Where shoot all those shots of, of yeah, like sped up flying. You know, background shots of a helicopter yeah. flying, flying around so that you can then put Reeves in front yeah, of it. And you think about him just on the wires and those leather harnesses upside down or sideways him and uh, uh what's her face kidder it's just it's amazing just, i wonder what if people be like oh this is boring i don't care this doesn't look good anymore where it's like it's i feel like now we're getting into the era where it's like you also have to be cognizant of like this is when we're actually doing we're picking cars up <laughs> you know they're throwing cars they're throwing yeah. trucks it's just it's all oh, the miniature stuff is great oh all that miniature stuff is amazing you know it's just really you know and since i you know i even grabbed the remote from blake and i rewound it because if you look at some of the miniature stuff you notice that the people on the sidewalks are moving and i rewound it just to look and it's just them on a track and they're frozen they're just moving you know yeah, they're just yeah. you know but it's it gives you emotion and it's just it's it's just so it's just so amazing it's so good but then i i you know i liked in the donner cut getting that one shot of when he gets thrown into the marlboro truck yeah. of like you seeing him picking the stuff off of him i like that or i like yeah. them throwing him into the um into the uh, to the Statue of Liberty, yeah. you know, I liked all that kind of stuff, you know, or, or or it was a little more clearer that when he throws the th- the third guy, that he's throwing him into the to the uh, antenna on the Empire State Building as the, the the theatrical cut. It was a little more like I couldn't tell what building that was until yeah. it was the Empire State Building, you know. So it's just yeah, I mean we can go on for hours about the mythos of we Superman. <laughs> <laughs> and the first two movies, and maybe one day we'll get to the first one. Maybe we'll even do Superman three, or we'll even do Supergirl. And then, and, you know, there was a bit of a controversy because, um, you know, getting back into our canon years, where it's like, I guess the the there was a there's a big hoopla because the um the, uh, Ilya and his father sold the rights to canon to do Superman 4 so suddenly and then they couldn't be found they like went underground literally like no one knew where they went and you know so there was a big upset because there was such a drastic yeah uh, reduction in budget between those movies uh, that people were pissed you know uh, it's just an interesting story and then you know the the sadness of Christopher Reeves you forget about that like him in that horse riding accident and then him becoming you know uh, this big you know wheelchair bound where yeah. he, you know and then an advocate uh, for yeah. yeah for stem cell research and doing all this kind of thing and, and the poster child for that and then you know him passing away and then his wife um, getting lung cancer and she never smoked a day in her life and then her dying it's just yeah. so sad we're this is a guy who was an actor who literally became Superman was flying around and then you know, he has the tragedy that he had and then him being for 10 or 15 years. Yeah. And then but him, in some ways becomes a real hero. Yeah. You as know. an advocate and, and bringing an awareness to things. So. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's such a, you know, then people talk about the, the, you know, the, the, the what do you call that? The, 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 the plague of this, you know, the Reeves, you uh, know, George super, Reeves, the, Superman the curse. curse. Yeah. The curse, you know, where George Reeves killed himself, supposedly. Only if you have Reeves. Reeves. <laughs> yeah. Only if Reeves. So if you're an actor coming out and well, you're going to get cast had a lot of Reeves. Problems yeah. Too, and she's know, passed away too. Yeah. She's not passed. She had a lot of issues, right? With drug use yeah. and stuff. And I probably, yeah. But also like, you know, mental disorder, if I recall correctly. Yeah. And then divorces and stuff. And there's a, uh, there's a couple horror stories I remember of hearing about her. And, and of course, we, you know, she was featured 
featured on our Black Christmas episode. Yep, yep. Um, and quickly, Ned Beatty, I think, is great in here, the little part he has. I thought Hackman is phenomenal. You forget about how good Hackman is. Like, he is the proto-villain, is the yeah. Lex Luthor, with those bad-fitting wigs, you know, and love all... <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's great, you know? It's just... It really... It, you get to see where that almost overacting comes from with these other big villains you end up seeing with the Jokers or all these other guys. It's really great. But uh, this ends the 2019 season of Summer of Sequels. Yes, we are finally closing. We kind of left it ambiguous last week if we were going to do another Summer of Sequel. We were trying to act like it was closed, but this ends the Summer of Sequels even though we're at the end of September. full disclosure, we had originally thought we would do a different movie for our anniversary yeah but then kind of influenced by the summer of sequels we decided to like you know what let's do one more sequel yeah yeah it was it was it was very instrumental in us doing this and then yeah we'll do and it we'll was our anniversary so now we and it f- perfectly because we're we five keep, years old we keep that theme of the superhero you know so it ended up working kind of serendipitously it was really nice so um yeah now we're like you said we're five and we're, we're going to go into year number six. Yeah, and we're going to have a whole another exciting uh, rest of 2019, the season into 2020. Um, we got a lot of fun things in the pike. October's right around the corner this year. Yeah, we got our Halloween extravaganza. Yeah, our our our, our uh, 2019 summer <laughs> Saturday night movie sleepovers <laughs> Halloween extravaganza. Uh, that's just around the corner, uh, so that'll be very exciting. Um, and uh, let's we want to thank everybody for being along for the ride for, for certainly yeah like, anniversaries are a good time for reflection so yeah. we want to thank everybody for we're going to start know. singing all anxiety yeah thank you very much for your support and all your um, your messages and tweeting us and movie suggestions we get a lot of people suggesting movies now for us to cover some of which we will do soon in the future uh and we thank you for your support and your your you know camaraderie. It's fun just to, to to hear from everybody, sharing their memories of all this kind of stuff. And you're on this voyage with us through the sleepovers of the past. <laughs> uh, it's a good time. But uh, you can continue your support <clears throat> by supporting us as authors. Yes, of course. Dion Baya has a book called Blood in the Streets, which is available on Amazon from other book retailers and from Dion directly at dionbaya.com, and it's available in paperback. Uh, uh, audiobook and ebook, and of course, I am Jay Blake Fisher. My book, Scored to Death Conversations with Some of Horror's Greatest Composers, available same places, including scoredtodeath.com. I don't have an audiobook, but I do have an ebook if you're interested in that. And of course, you can find our show on uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. At uh, clnsmedia.com. Yep, clnsmedia.com. On our website, which usually features a few extras, uh, as we always kind of hint at. And uh, you can follow us on social media, at Sat Sleepovers, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Your support, obviously, would be much appreciated. And you can uh, be happy. We would be happy for you to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And also, our books, if you have them, on Amazon. And... uh, I don't know. What else? Um, if you are going to be in the New York City area, we're going to be at a... Um, 
comic book convention in, gonna... in two days uh, as this podcast <laughs> is dropping. This comes out on a Friday. Jose, yeah. we hope to see yeah. you. Yeah. Now. <laughs> if, if you're if you're listening in time, we're going to be um, at the. Uh, we'll put more. We'll put a link into this podcast of where we're going to be, and we'll be advertising it on social yeah. media. So some of you may even know about it by now. Yeah, because we've we've kind of blown it up. But if, if you're in New York City area, come check us out this Sunday at the. Um, I don't know the name of the hotel. It used to be called the Holiday Inn, but it's on 57th between 9th and 10th Avenue. And it's called, the what is it called? The Retro Comic Book Con, right? The Retro Some, Con? Something to that effect. Yeah. It's a small con, but it's sure. those are the kind of cons we like to go to. Yeah. So. Come, so, come see, what's-his-face is going to be there, too, uh, from F Troop. <laughs> Larry Storch. Yeah, Larry Storch. You can get his autograph. The ghost of Robert Vaughn, evidently, is going to be there, too. A lot so. of uh, television, Western actors. Ooh. Uh, someone who was in West Side Story. Is going to be there. Yeah. We're putting all of the muscle men away. We're putting them back in. <laughs> putting them all back until the next time. Yeah. So, and then, um, like we say, like, please support your local author if you want, if you or your local podcaster. Support us by our books and all that. Um, you already gave your stuff for Cuts from the Crypt. What's going oh, on? Cuts from the Crypt. As you can always check out Cuts from the Crypt from the fan, Damn Fine Network. Yep. It's a monthly show that I do where I play horror movie music. And uh, then you, it usually drops the last Saturday of every month. Sweet. So we're just, uh, you know, we're going into this Halloween season, not yeah. just for Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, but also for Cuts from the Crypt. Yeah, it's the fall already. So Summer's you get, over. You can get your Halloween <clears throat> playlist. Yeah. So I'll be all good to go. And then we're going to, we have a big surprise for, well, not a big surprise. But we got a nice lineup for, for Halloween this year. Yeah. So um, I think that's something you guys will be into. And like Blake said, check us out at clnsmedia.com. Uh, Thank you very much for, for, again, choosing us to listen to. And uh, we'll be back, I think, in one week this time. Because since this is starting October, remember, our, our usually our, our, our schedule for October is four weeks, four movies. Yeah. So um, we'll be seeing you next week. Later. Later.